Goodness gracious alive. Good to have all y'all here today. It's good to know this Jesus and the wonderful things that he does and all these wonderful testimonies. I'm telling you, it's awesome to see God do wonderful things. And some of you might not know, too, just a couple weeks ago, uh, she's here. I won't ask her to come up. But uh, Juanita Smith also came up on a Sunday, and she was getting ready Wednesday to go to the doctor to have cataract surgery. And she came up, and we prayed for her on Sunday. And by the time she got there, and she'd had those a year, and the doctor wanted to do surgery a year ago, but she wouldn't let it be done. So she came up Sunday a week ago and asked me to pray, and we did. And when she got to the doctor's Wednesday, the doctor looked in her eyes, and he says, Goodness, the cataract surgery that we did on you really has improved your eyes, and they sure are clear and sharp. They've even increased both far and near. She said, I didn't have the surgery. (laughs) What did you do? Well, my pastor prayed for me. He said, look, I'm a Pentecostal charismatic, and i never seen God do nothing like that. Uh, All i got to say is it don't make any difference if you're a non-denominational, a Baptist, a Catholic, whatever you are, Pentecostal, all Jesus is looking for is holiness and faith. That's what he's looking for, holiness and faith. Walk holy before me, do what I say, and he said, then do something in faith, call me in remembrance of my word, and I will do great and mighty things for you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we're attached to you, that we're your children, that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods, and you're our King and our Lord, and we're your children. Lord, help us. Give us revelation and wisdom and knowledge and understanding from the word today. As we read it and study it, Lord, reveal to us more and more about who we are and what we can do in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now then, today I'm going to talk a little bit about who you are in Christ. That's going to be the title of this message today, Who You Are in Christ. I want to prove to you from the scripture some of the things you can do if you're in Christ. And I went through the Word of God, and I've done a lookup. It's a wonderful what you can do with computers. But I went in and done a lookup on in Christ, in Him, in whom, and some of these kind of things. And these are some of the things I came up with. Now, who are we and what can we do if we are in Christ, in Him? Well, if you're a born-again Christian, you're supposed to meet that criteria. You're supposed to be in Christ. So now then, I'm going to start out in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. This is where we're going to start. In your word, so if you got your Bible out, you need to look, because I might not tell you the truth. Every once in a while, I misquote the word. You've got to check out these preachers. You want to make sure they're telling you the truth. Because I went to church a lot of years of my life, and we didn't get much scripture. Uh, two or three verses on Saturday on a Sunday morning in a 20-minute sermon. And unfortunately, I didn't learn very much. But I am not a 20-minute preacher. You know, more like 20 hours, but not 20 minutes. But anyway, maybe 20 days. You know, I can only imagine when Paul preached the Word of God until Eutychus went to sleep at midnight and fell out the window, and then he went down and raised him from the dead and preached till daylight. You know, when's the last time you've been to a meeting like that? 
Well, we need to have those on a regular basis in the church today. God's Word ought to be so exciting to us. We ought to hear Him do such mighty, wonderful things like we've already heard today that it ought to be exciting to know more about this King that does these wonderful things. I'm telling you, just like Tommy back there said, I'm telling you, the Word of God is taking on a whole new meaning to me, he says. I mean, but after you've been diagnosed with terminal cancer and... He, has, he told me the other day, he didn't say anything about it today, but he told me that in the la- if I remember this right, I don't think I'm saying this wrong. He said in the last 10 years, he's been to the doctors enough and had enough surgeries and everything else and spent enough on his body that with his insurance and everything, I believe he said he had spent a million dollars on his body in the last 10 years. Something like that. Is that right? Close? How would you like to spend a million dollars on your body in the last 10 years? When all the time, Jesus is available. And he don't charge for his. He already paid for it. And he gives it to you by faith. All you got to do is receive it by faith. Wow, is that awesome. Just like my little granddaughter was here a few minutes ago. And now it's gone. I guess she went home. Did Tim and him come by and get her? Yeah, so they had to take her home. They've been to Colorado. I might give you a little bit of an insight there. Uh, I think it was the very first time my son, Tim, had ever heard that inward voice speaking to him. Uh, He had heard me say, the Lord has spoken to me a lot of times, but he had never heard it. Now, some of you that never heard that inward voice of God that sounds like an audible voice, some of you have a problem when I tell you I've heard that voice. Some of you have a problem with that. I had never heard that, never heard it in church, so I didn't know anybody heard God's voice, but one day it happened to me in 1977. Changed my life forever. And since then, I don't even know how many times I've heard God's voice. But with my son, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, maybe three, he heard God tell him he was to build a fitness center. And so he come home shaking. I mean, he was trembling. And he walked in. I said, son, what's wrong with you? He said, look at me, Dad. I'm a basket case this morning. I said, so, okay. What's, what caused it? He said, God spoke to me. I said, oh, good. Daddy's talking to you for a change. Now we're getting somewhere. I said, what did he say? He said, we're supposed to build a fitness center. I said, okay, good. I said, all we got to do is find a piece of land. So we started, and it took a while, but we found a piece of land. We built a building. And a short while after the Lord spoke to him and told him he was to build a fitness center, the Lord spoke to him and told him he was going to operate and run a camp for people, for spiritual, you know, physically, a camp, a big one. He thought, he told me about that. He said, Dad, you know what's going to happen? I said, no, what? He said, we're going to build this fitness center. This thing's going to make a million dollars, and we're going to have the money to build this big camp somewhere. Well, we built this fitness center, and it didn't make a million dollars. You know, we kind of struggled along. It's made him a living, but it's not made him no more than just a, a decent living. Time he pays all his help and everything. So he told me that day, he said, Dad, I don't know what God was talking about. I don't know what he meant when he said that. Well, I said, you know, he's preparing you to do some things. And I kept trying to get a hold of my son. I kept telling him, I said, you need to get rid of that snuff. You know, that don't bring no glory and honor to God. Well, he tried everything in the world to get rid of that snuff and nothing worked. And the other day he come to me and said, Dad, I heard God speak again. I said, what did he say? He said, I sat there studying the Bible, getting ready to teach a Bible study class over knitting. And God spoke to me and said, Son, take that dip out of your lip. 
Because he said, I immediately reached up and got it and took it out and throwed it away. But he said, about two hours later, I'm thinking, you know, that's the devil now, see. That wasn't really God. <laughs> and so he's kind of looking over his shoulder to see if God's there. How many of you know you can't see the king? But see, so he thought, okay, okay, that couldn't have been the Lord. So he goes, he had one can, goes in, gets him a brand new can, opens it up, wads up the little deal like you do it, pulls the lip out, sticks it in there, and daddy said, I said, take that out of your mouth. Man, he took it out that time. And then the next day, he's sitting there thinking, now, Lord, I got, he's thinking, I got to go to Bible study, I got to teach the Word of God. How in the world am I going to be cool and calm enough to speak to all these people in a Bible study? And I ain't got a dip. And he said, the Lord spoke to me again. He said, son, am I not sufficient for all of your needs? He said, that's it, Dad, that's it. I won't never dip again. I said, glory to God, praise the King. And his wife did the same thing. Praise the King. Well, the camp. There was a man called, or Tim called a man the other day, and they were talking. And this man is a very fine Christian man. And they got to talking, and as they were talking, he said, Tim, what do you think is going to happen with your fitness center out? He said, well, I really don't know. He said, God spoke to me a couple of years ago after he told me to do that and told me I was to run a camp, build a big camp for people. And... He said, Tim, I have that same burning desire. In fact, he said, you know, there's a, do you know of any place? And Tim said, well, I was just up in Colorado on vacation, and there was a beautiful place with several buildings and everything already established. I think it was 60 acres of land, but focus on the family was trying to buy it. Well, this man got a hold of this organization and focused on the family, decided not to buy it, so he flew up there and he bought it and the 60 acres across the road from it for $1.5 million. And that's where Tim's been the last three days. They're up there figuring out what they're going to do. He's going to run a camp. That's how God's going to make it work. And he told me this last week. He said, Daddy, I never told you this. But he said, I knew ever since I got saved, when I was walking, when, that day when we drove down the corner from left Lakeland Baptist Church, and I was standing up in the seat of the pickup, and I told you, Daddy, I need to get saved. Now, he was four when he told me that. I told him, I said, son, I don't think you really understand enough at four to know what you're talking about. But I had read the entire Bible through to him one time by the time he's four. We get home, and an hour later, he and I is knelt beside the bed. He's inviting Jesus into his life. He knew a whole lot more about the Word of God than I thought. And he said, Daddy, I knew from then God had called me to preach the Word. But he said, I've been rebelling all these years. But he said, now I've got to do what God called me to do. So all in prayers I prayed, and all in nights of agony on my knees, you know, paid off. It don't come easy with your children. If you don't pray for them and you don't read the word to them, the devil will get them. You know that? The devil's out there any time. He, that beast is out there. And he's doing a good job on killing, stealing, killing, and destroying. But don't never give up. God is going to use them. I guarantee when I didn't give up over Caitlin... I mean, that little girl is alive and well, a beautiful little seven-year-old girl in first grade today. I mean, in nearly four years ago, I walked in the hospital, 
it's over. Brain stem severed, eyes disconnected, face crushed, blood running out of her eyes, ears, nose, and mouth, knee, right knee crushed, and left leg broken in two places. There's not one chance, not one, that she will live. She will die. It's a guarantee. Well, let me tell you, that's when you get put to the test. Do you believe this book or not? But I believed the book and I told every doctor and every nurse and everybody over there, no, I will not accept that. God made me a book full of promises and he meant it. I'm walking in obedience to his word and I'm going to guarantee the king of the universe is going to heal that little girl. He's going to raise her up and make her run and play again. People tell me, Thurman, doctors of theology, PhDs, pastors said, Thurman, you cannot tell God what to do in this situation. I said, if I, he, didn't, he didn't demand for me to tell him what to do, he shouldn't have told me in his word to ask anything and he'd do it. When he said, ask anything, I believe he said it, don't you, Terry? Praise the Lord. So why do we not get anything from God? It's because we don't believe his word. Stand on his word. He's the one that made you and me these promises. And you get to see the glory of God when you do it. Praise the king. Woo! I mean, I, I'm going to get excited up here in a minute. <laughs> With testimonies like we've heard today, I can get excited about Jesus. Amen. It's easy to get excited about Jesus. I don't understand why the whole church is not as excited about Jesus as, as some of us are. But I'll tell you, it's, it's woo, okay, well, praise God. <laughs> Let's go on. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom... In whom, Christ, in whom we have redemption through the blood. Now, you don't realize what that's saying. In whom we have redemption. You know what it means to be redeemed? That means he paid the price. He bought it. It's done. You can't do anything for it except receive what he's already done. So if you're in him, in whom, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now you talk about a God that's gracious. I can be forgiving and loving in some areas. But let me tell you what. If you're the most wicked critter. And you're doing devastating things to me. And you're mean to me. And you're treating me mean. And you're beating up on me every time I come to your house or by your place or something like that. And then one day you're going to think I'm going to die on the cross to give you something free. Give me a break. I ain't, that, I ain't that forgiving. Are you, Ty? No, we're not. We're men. We're human. We can't do that. But while you were yet a wicked sinner, Christ paid that price for you, sent his own son, his love for you, and redeemed you and me. And I mean, when we were laying in the muck, the miry pit of hell, wallowing around over there with the devil. I mean, when we were creating, when we were doing spiritual prostitution with the devil. I mean, can you imagine that? I can't even comprehend that. But that's what we were doing in the muck of the world out there. And he reached down and died for you and me and redeemed us so we don't have to pay that price. Wow, what a God we serve. You can't get excited about that. You had not understood what it is yet. You know, but when you understand what you got, I mean, every one of us, some people say, well, I was born in a beautiful home. I never wandered around out there in the miry pit of hell. Yes, you did. You were lost. You were out there in the miry pit of hell. There ain't nobody ever born a Christian. Everybody was born lost on this earth. So in whom or in Christ we have redemption through his blood. That blood, we're going to take that blood after a while. 
We're going to take that. And I mean, when you take that, you be grateful and thankful that when that you drink that, that what that's done for you. Wow. It has washed you and cleansed you and purified you so that you can walk where you are, so we can walk in the power of the Holy Ghost, so I can kick a devil out of Tommy back there and he gets healed, so I can pray the prayer of faith for Juanita and her cataracts goes away. So, And you can pray those prayers of faith for people. As you do all these things, we hear people do. It's just not limited to me. This is you. This is us. If you're in Christ, we all have this power available to us. Wow. In verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance. I mean, an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. How would you like to be, I mean, let's think of somebody we know that's fairly wealthy. Uh, I know he's not too well off, but how about Bill Gates for a starter? (laughs) The richest man in the world, I think. You know, a young man. Richest man in the world. How would you like to be an heir to Bill Gates and he was going to leave you just a tenth of his kingdom when he died? What could you do with just a tenth of that kind of an inheritance? Beyond your wildest imaginations, right? Well, Bill Gates and his inheritance is peanuts compared to what we got in Christ. When you get a hold of the inheritance, wow, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. This is God's own will that he was willing to predestine us. Well, somebody said, who's predestined? I'm going to tell you the whole world is predestined to serve God. But most of them are not going to accept it. It was predestined when he died on that cross. When he died on that cross, it was predestined that every human being that walked on the face of this earth could be saved, healed, and delivered, and made whole. Every human being. Not one was left out. Since not one was left out, then why in the world is there only a few tiny amount of people in church today? What is wrong? You can go out on the highways, you could go down to a ballpark today, and there would be tens of thousands of people in them ballparks out there running around to see somebody kicking a football or a soccer ball or whatever, and that can't do nothing for you except a piece of flesh for a few minutes. But yet those places are running over, and church has almost nobody in it. I will have to say that there is a few churches in the area that have a few people in them, you know, but overall compared to the number of people that's available in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex on a whole Sunday from 12 o'clock morning till 12 o'clock midnight for the whole day of Sunday, how many people out of the, say, 4 million people that's in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, how many of them do you think might accidentally be in church somewhere? What do you think the percentage would be? 10%? Maybe? You think it's less? Wow. Some think it's even less than 10%. Isn't that amazing? If they know what I know, you know what they'd do with Sunday? You'd be, you wouldn't just serve him on Sunday. You'd be about his business 24-7. When you get a hold of the king and what you can do and who you are and this inheritance that you have and that we've been predestined according to his purposes to serve him. 
And verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Wow. When you trust in Christ, we should praise him and worship him and thank him. It's not hard for me to praise him. I mean, I can drive down the road by all by my, and I do this best when I'm by myself. When there's nobody with me, I can praise and worship the king better when I'm by myself than any other time. Because just me and him, just worshiping and praising. But you ought to be able to worship him and praise him anywhere. You ought to be able to worship him and praise him driving. I mean, and you go in a place of business. Like a lady come up to me the other day in Home Depot. People walking all up and down the aisles and everything. She come over and tap me on the shoulder. And I turn. I said, oh, how are you doing, ma'am? She said, Thurman, I have a prayer request. I said, who's it for? She said, my brother. I want you to pray for him. I said, what's wrong? She told me. I said, let's go to the throne of grace. I reached up, put my hand on her shoulder and said, Father, in the name of Jesus. And that girl blushed from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. She said, when I got through, she said, good grief. I didn't know he was going to do it right here at Home Depot. <laughs> I said, well, goodness gracious, don't you think we were an example of Christ right there praying, my hand raised, talking out loud in the name of Jesus? I wanted everybody for three or four hours to know what I was doing. And some of them in there probably needed it too. You know? Like that day, the other day I walked into a Home Depot, that new one they made out here at Roanoke. Two guys in there with sweaters or shirts on with great big crosses on their back. Jesus is Lord. I thought, I wonder who these guys are. I walked up and tapped one of them on the back. He turned around. Oh, he said, Thurman Scrivener. I said, do I know you? He said, you probably don't remember me. But he said, you came to my house five years ago and said, my, my little, or many years ago, it was, he said, you come and my son was five years old. That's what he said. My son had had multiple seizures. And he said, you come over and cast the devil out of my son and he ain't had a seizure since and that's why I got this cross on my back and that's why I'm working for Jesus today. I thought, that's what this is all about, right? I mean, I changed, the, Jesus changed those two men's lives. He sent me to a, a man's house that had a little boy having seizures. He said, many a month. But he said, from the time he was five till today, he's never had another one. How much power do we have over the devil? All. All. Don't you think it's time we start believing this? This inheritance that we have predestined to be sons and daughters of God to go about doing these wonderful things. The church needs to wake up. We're asleep. We sleep too much. We need to wake up and be about the king's business. You know, read the word. Do something for Jesus this week. Then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21. In Ephesians 2.21. Oh, wait a minute. I missed verse 13 in Ephesians 1. I forgot that one. In Ephesians 1.13. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... In whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ooh, that's a good one. If you're in Christ, you're sealed with the Holy Ghost. What a good thing to be sealed in. We seal things in saran wrap and plastic and everything else. But to be sealed in the Holy Ghost. Scott, that's a wonderful thing to be sealed in, right? Amen. Amen. We're sealed in the Holy Ghost. Your confession needs to line up with the Word of God. 
I mean, there was a lady coming here a while ago, and she said, you know, something about being tired or whatever. And I said, ma'am, I don't receive that curse in the name of Jesus. She said, oh, yeah. One of the ladies, I told her about you. And she said, well, he can get by with almost no sleep. She said, well, the Lord is his strength. She said, that's what he says, too. That's what you need to say. The Lord is my strength. In him will I trust. Now then, Ephesians 2.21. Ephesians 2.21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. You are a stone, a living stone in the temple of the living God if you're in Christ. In whom, it says, verse 21, in whom, in Christ, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. You've got to realize we're a building for Jesus. We're this temple. Verse 22, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So where is God? He's in this building. If he's in that building, he's in you, isn't he? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's where he's at. He's in you. So when you go somewhere, you've got to remember Christ is in you. So watch what you say. Watch what you hear. Watch what you do because Christ is going to be there. If you commit some kind of sin, he's going to be there and he's going to know it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with sin. Walk holy before God. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Ephesians three twelve, In whom we have boldness. Now you'd think that we never understood what he meant when he says, Come boldly into the throne of grace in Hebrews 4, 16. Because you'd never, you'd be amazed at the number of people that when the devil beats up on us, you know what they're doing when I get to them? They're crying. They're crying. Hey, get over your crying. Come boldly before the... Be a big boy or a big girl. Realizing the devil's going to beat up on you. Just like Ty said a while ago, him that will purify himself and live holy before God, you're going to be persecuted. So get over it. When the devil beats up on you, get back up. Don't lay down there and cry. Get up and fight back with the Word of God. Amen. I mean, if He knocks you down three times, you may have some tears of pain in your eyes, but wipe them tears up and get up and say, Devil, I'm coming back at you full more because I got the Word of God and you can't stand against the Word. You know, get up. He says, in whom we have boldness. We need to become bold as children of God. What's, brought, what's wrong with throwing your hand up and praying for somebody in Home Depot? What's wrong with throwing your hand up and praying for somebody with people all around? What's wrong with laying hands on a woman in a cafeteria and, and saying, In the name of Jesus, Corporal Tunnel, I command you to be healed and see a woman instantly healed in the presence of 40 people. What's wrong with that? That's bold. I could never do something like that. I said, Well, then forget it. You might as well go do something else. You know, when you get bold. You know what the king, when you do what he says? When you get bold with the word, you know what he does? He shows up. He shows up. He loves boldness to come against the devil because he defeated the devil 2,000 years ago. Don't you know it must break the heart of the king whenever we allow the devil to beat up on us? 
Don't you know it must break his heart when we get sick and afflicted, whenever the devil comes in, like he did in Tommy putting that cancer on him, and he goes down there to MD Anderson the first time, I think that's where he went, when they told him he had it so bad they're going to have to give him radiation and chemo. Both. And then he comed over, came over and spent a few hours with me, and I kicked the devil out of him, and I told him, if you believe God, you don't have to go back down there. So for two months, he didn't go back down there. But then for some strange reason, this last week, he did go back down there and have the test done, and it's not there. Oh, glory to God. Is it wonderful to know you have power over the devil? Oh, is it awesome. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Is it in my faith or your faith? No, I ain't got no faith. I, got, I have faith in Christ. If I have faith in Christ, what can we do, Frank, with faith in Jesus? All things. All things, that's right. Woo! Glory to God. In whom we have boldness and access. Do you know what it means to have access into the throne of grace? Walk right in there. Bold as a lion. Say, Lord, here I am, your little son or your little daughter. I got a problem, Lord. That devil's beating up on so-and-so down there on earth, on my brother, my sister, my wife, my uncle, my husband, my wife, whatever. In the name of Jesus, now I'm fed up with that devil. I've got boldness and I have access and I come in there with confidence that I'm going to get my answer. Hey, you can't beat those three together, can you? You got boldness and access and confidence. And how's that confidence come to you? By faith in Christ. What can Jesus do? He proved to it what, when he was here what he could do. Now, if Jesus doesn't show up, if Jesus hadn't showed up over there in the ministry center that day for Tommy, guess what would have happened to him? Nothing. Because who's the healer? Jesus. But now, how can Jesus be out in the ministry center? How can you, how can you pray over a man like that in the ministry center and turn around and pick up the telephone or listen to the telephone and Gloria's on the phone to somebody in New York and she's just kicking the devil out and that guy gets healed too at the same time. How can Jesus be at two places at the same time? He's everywhere, isn't he? See, when you get a hold of who Jesus really is, who knows what you can get done? There's no limitations to the power of God that's available to you and me. Now then, Colossians 1, 14. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to this. Think about what we've got. This book of Colossians is one of my favorite books. Of course, Ephesians is one of my favorite books, too. You know? Well, let's see that. Which one is my favorite book? The Bible is my favorite book. That's what it is. But, you know, each one of these has got their own little things in it. It just lights your fire. Woo! Light your fire. Praise God. Colossians 1.14 In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Hey, he's telling us that again, isn't he? You reckon he wants us to get that? I think he's peppered these little things. You know, I, here's what I think about God. He thought, you know, I don't want to make this too easy for my children. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to write this book and then I'm going to back off over here and I'm going to pick up a handful of golden nuggets, golden promises. And I'm going to throw them out across there. And wherever they stop, they'll be scattered all over the place so there won't be any place in my word they can't, can't walk unless they're really careful without stepping on one of these wonderful promises. He scattered them all over like that. So he said, they, if they read my book anywhere, they've got to find them. 
but like a dummy. 45 years of my life, I wonder what I was reading. How did I miss this? It's amazing, isn't it? How you can miss these mighty things. But they're in there. And then in Colossians chapter 2, I made this statement. I quoted this verse one day. And a lady came to me. She said, where in the world is that verse? When I quoted the verse, I didn't quote the chapter, the book, and the chapter, and the verse. I just quoted the verse. And she said, where I have read the Bible and read the Bible and read the Bible, I've never seen that in the Word. I said, go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, and you'll find it. In whom are hidden some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, how many, Bidley? Oh. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now then, if all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him, and where is he at? In you. So where's all these secrets? In you. So what do you got to do? Learn how to tap into them. How do you tap into them? By faith through prayer. Can you only imagine a man believing that you could do things? I mean, somebody comes to you and says, we got a tremendous problem in a certain place and we need you to go see if you can take care of this. I said, what do you mean see if I can? I said, let me pray, and then I'll go, and I guarantee I can take care of the situation. When I used to work for corporations in the business world, I've had VPs call me from all over, all over the United States, and they'd send me somewhere to look at some equipment, and the fixed thing, like, just give you a little simple example. One day, a guy up in Chicago, he told his boss up there that they were going to have to have a brand new $50,000 ice machine. So that one's gone. It's, it's had. It can't be fixed. Well, I mean, $50,000, I mean, to a big company, that's just peanuts, you know. It only takes a few hundred thousand sandwiches to put $50,000 on the bottom line. That's all it takes. So he called me and said, Thermo, would you fly up to Chicago and see what's wrong with that ice machine? I said, sure. So I get on an airplane. I fly up there, and I get there, and I look at it, and in just a few minutes, I find the problem with it. I said, oh, no problem. I call, vote, two bias machines. I tell the guy what I need. He sends me the parts. Next day air, I put them in myself, and by evening, or the total cost, not counting my airplane ticket in a couple days in a hotel, my total cost to put that machine online was less than $200. Less than 200 and that machine was still running years later. Years later. He says, how do you do these kind of things? I said, well, Chief, I didn't save you much money. I mean, it cost you an airplane ticket and a couple nights in a hotel. And I said, you know, it cost you a couple of hundred dollars for stuff. He said, but they said the machine couldn't be fixed. They wanted to throw it away and buy a new $50,000 one. I said, well, okay, so we only saved 49000 you know, so... <laughs> No big deal. I said, I'll take 10% of that. No, I didn't really say that. But you want to know why every time, every year that the reviews came around, you want to know why I got outstanding awards for every VP I ever worked for? 
because of things like that. How do you do this? Pray. Jesus shows me. Thurman, you can't be serious. Do you pray about everything? Well, it seems like I read somewhere in a word that says, in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, didn't it? So if it says, in all things pray, then why don't you pray over it? Hey, I think it works better to pray over it. All things, not a few things. I mean, you sit down to drink a glass of ice water. Pray over it. You'd be amazed at what it'll do. You know, and if you go down and sit down like Cheryl and I do every once in a while, we, I mean, you know, she and I both got this little tiny addiction. Maybe she's got it worse than I do to Dr. Peppers. <laughs> you better pray over them, I guarantee you. <laughs> in fact, the other night she went out and sang at a church deal and uh, a fundraiser to get money for missionaries, and they had a whole bunch of Dr. Peppers. And she was there four or five hours. So guess what? <laughs> she told me she picked out on Dr. Peppers because <laughs> they were free. But I know one thing about her. She prayed over every one of them. I guarantee that. I know. I get chickens tickled to me. I said, Lord, we're going to sin together today. <laughs> we're going to drink this Dr. Pepper with the carbonated water in it and all the sugar. But Lord, if you possibly could, please bless this thing to our physical bodies in the name of Jesus. I hope he's got a sense of humor. <laughs> but anyway, it's amazing what we can do through prayer. In Colossians 2:3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And they're in Christ and he's in you. So when you pray in faith, what can he reveal to you how to do anything? All things. So therefore, don't ever try to do anything on your own. Always get the information from the Lord. I mean, you can do it on your own if you want to and fall on your face and, you know, mess around with stuff and work on stuff for days. Always be like another man. One day I went to Houston. And there was a guy down there working on a great big giant piece of equipment. It cost a lot of money. And he was a fairly new employee. I'm director of engineering. And he knows it. I hadn't met him, talked to him on the phone. I walk up to him and I says, uh, I see you got this machine all broke down. I said, are you having an electrical problem? He said, I am. I said, you're new with the company. Would you like for me to go through the control circuits for you to help you out? He said, no, that's okay. He said, I'm knowledgeable on these kind of things. I can fix it. I said, okay, no problem. You know, just thought I'd offer. Because I stayed prayed up. But he didn't know what the word prayer meant. <laughs> so later that afternoon, I come back by, and he's still working on his machine. And I said, uh, I walked up and said, sir, you sure you understand that machine? He said, well, yeah, but I seem to be having a little problem finding what's wrong with it. I said, you got a voltmeter? that I could use? He said, yes. I said, would you mind? I mean, since you only got about 30 minutes of time to go home, I'd like to get this back online. I went up and I started at a circuit and I said, we got power there. We got power there. I said, we don't have it there. I said, there's your problem. I reached over and pushed the contractor close and it started. I said, now change that piece of equipment and you can have it back online in 10 minutes. He said, how do you know these things? I said, there's not anything about one of these vote two bus machines I don't know. I can sit down and draw you the wiring diagram from memory. <clears throat> one night, same kind of deal. A GM called me and said, Thurman. Now, see, I stay prayed up on all this equipment. 
a guy called me, they got a Hobart FT332 back in those days, a big 32-foot dishwasher. You know, that's a normal home-type dishwasher, 32-foot long. Most people's house is not 32 feet, but there's a dishwasher, and it's got all these tanks and all these pumps and all these final rinses and all these dryers and all these things and everything, and they call me one afternoon about 6 o'clock, and the GM said, Thurman, I am dead in the water. He said, I only got one dish machine, and mine just blew up. And he said, Hobart, I had them out here this afternoon, and they said it's so destroyed, they'll have to have a wiring diagram, they'll have to get that out of Troy, Ohio, take a few days to get it set down here, even next day air. And he said, they said it would take three to five days to fix the machine, minimal. And he said, I can't afford that. I said, no problem. I'll be up down there in a little while. I said, keep, your, keep one of your guys there. He said, I only got one guy there. One of them's on the way to New York with a truck. I said, okay, keep him there. I jumped on an airplane, got down there at 9 o'clock at night. <clears throat> I walked in and looked, and a pressure-reducing valve had a hole had eaten in the side of it, and somebody forgot to put the plugs back in the 440 contactor box, and when that water blew and filled that contactor box up with 440, let me tell you, it blew it all to pieces. Wires, contactors, overloads, relays, everything would just blow it all to pieces. I just started taking covers apart. I said, take everything off, pull everything loose, and jerk all the wires out. We started jerking all the wires out, pulling things loose. He said, how are we going to fix this? I said, well, all we need is a line diagram. He said, we don't have one. I said, oh, I know, but I got one right here. He said, Mr. Scrivener, you can't possibly know this machine from here. I said, oh, yeah, I can sit down and draw you this wiring diagram on a piece of paper. He said, you can't be serious. I said, oh, yeah, jerk the wires out. I said, we jerked all the wires out, started off with a clean machine. We started pulling wires, started putting contactors, wiped all the burn out, put new contactors, overloads, relays, everything. And 9 o'clock the next morning, I said, okay, everything's been rehooked up. I said, now, hit the main breaker, turn it on. I had one three-phase pump run backwards. I had to change two wires, and the machine run perfect. He said, how in the world do you do this? I said, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, and he's in me. And when I pray, he brings all this stuff to my mind so I can see these circuits in my mind, so I can rewire and sit down and draw you all the circuits on one of them dish machines from knowledge because he's in me. Now then... Some people say, I can't do that. Well, that's your first mistake. That's right. <laughs> is when you say, I can't do that. You're going to have to learn to think like God instead of like man. You've got to realize it's not you, it's him in you that's doing it. And this is what and some of the things you can do if you realize you're a son of God and you let Christ live in you and you pray and ask him for wisdom and knowledge. He will show you how to do things. I have seen him build buildings, design equipment stuff all over this country. People stand amazed. How did you do this? I said it was simple. I just prayed and asked him. Now then, he's no respect to a person. Do you know that, Scott? If he's no respect to a person, who will he do this for? Anybody that believes. But when you ask, you don't go to him and say, Oh, God, we, I don't know, Lord, I don't know much about this stuff. But, Lord, if it be your will, will you please show me how to do this? He said, No. Quote me a promise out of my word. Oh, okay, Lord, you said right here. 
John 14, 13, you said, I could ask the Father in the name of Jesus for anything, and you'll do it for me. He said, now we're getting somewhere. Oh, and you said in Jeremiah 1, 12, you watch over your word to perform it. He said, now we're really getting somewhere. What do you want, son? Holy Lord, I ask you to show me how to design this piece of equipment. How to do this, how to do that. I need wisdom to do this. But Lord, thank you, it's done. Because you said, come and ask for wisdom with thanksgiving. And believe it's done with no doubt in mark. No double mindedness, no wavering. So Lord, it's mine in the name of Jesus. He said, "Woo! now we're really getting somewhere. And you, somebody says, you're not to fix that yet? Say, not now, but it's coming. Guarantee it. You get out and you walk home, you, or walk out to your car, you may be driving down the road, and all of a sudden, all that begins to flood into you. As Ty says, Daddy will talk to you. Won't he, Ty? Yes, he will show you these things. How many of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in you? All. That's awesome, isn't it? And all you got to have to have that is to be who? A child of God. Now then, do you have to beg for that? It's there. It's in you. Learn how to turn it on. You can do anything if you're in Christ. Nothing is hard with you. So get off of this deal. I can't do that. Oh, I, for, oh, I got a new job next week and I am just know I'm not going to be able to do all the things they want me to do. You know when you walk in there and they say, we need a new employee to do certain, certain things. Can you do that? Well, I ain't never done that, but I'm the best employee this company ever had. I can tell you that for sure. Why are you the best employee this company ever had? Because I'm a Christian and Christ is in me and all the secrets of the universe of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him, which is in me. And so let me, you just head me the right direction through prayer. I can do anything in this place. When people, when you do that and say, I'm going to do it in record time too. I mean, them other sluggards, it might take them a week to do something. I guarantee I can do it faster than anybody in this place because I do it as unto the Lord and not unto man. And you know what? You'll get good praise reports. You won't have to worry about getting an increase in pay. They'll just pay you. You don't have to beg nobody for nothing. It'll just come because you're in Christ and you're doing it the right way. He will blow your socks off with what he will do for you. But do it as unto the Lord, not as unto man. In Colossians 2, 3, we just, and then verse 11. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, if you're in him, you're supposed to put off the body of the sins of the flesh. You're supposed to stop living in the flesh. That's going to be one of your hardest goals. The devil is going to make that nearly impossible. First Peter one eight. First Peter one eight. Whom having not seen. How many of you have ever seen God? Anybody in here ever seen the King? Huh? You've seen Jesus? Amen. There's a few people have seen Jesus, but very few. The story that I love that Ty tells about his daddy when his daddy died. I think it was the day he died or something, wasn't it, Ty? He was down on, I don't know, down in a place or whatever, and his daddy also was a veterinarian, a doctor. 
and he loved cattle and all that kind of stuff, and he loved to herd them cows on a four-wheeler. And so, and he loved to eat, didn't he? Yeah. So the, I think it was the day he died, you were down there somewhere on the place, and here comes Daddy about four feet off the ground. You saw this, didn't you, Ty? He was about four feet off the ground on a four-wheeler eating a turkey leg. And said, Ty, it's wonderful. And he's gone. Well, something like that, wasn't that right? That's the way it was. Now, hey, it's awesome to get to see that. It's awesome to get to see those kind of things. Now then, but who having not seen, most of us have not seen, you love. Most of us have not seen Jesus. Very few people. I, I know a few men and women that have absolutely seen Jesus, but very few. I know a woman one time on her deathbed, comatose, and she was a pastor's wife, and there was two pastors praying over her. And the two pastors were praying, Oh God, when sister so-and-so passes away, Please give brother so-and-so the ability to go on without his wife. And after the two men prayed those prayers of unbelief, a man of God walked in the door. And he saw what was going on, and he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out a bottle of oil, and he took the lid off of it. It was a whole lot bigger than this one. And he walked over there, and he kicked the chair. He kicked this one's chair said, You my unbelievers, get out of the way. And he poured the bottle of oil on the top of it and said, God, heal her in the name of Jesus. The woman jerked up, looked up, and said, There's Jesus at the foot of the bed. And instantly she was healed and got up off her deathbed. What did that man do? He kicked the devil out of that woman. That's what he did. All the rest of these people were laying around saying, Oh, God, if it be your will. And the devil said, Oh, boy, I'm going to kill her you got to realize, who's the battle against? The devil. The devil is the author of death. But this man, something Ty didn't tell you a while ago, this man that he went over to talk to and speak over there the other day, that he got thrown out after an hour of teaching him the Word of God, that man has translated the Word of God in 123 languages. 123 languages. This man in the last 50 years has brought people from all these different nations and teach them English or they get together, three or two, three or four of them, and they will sit down together and with the English and what they know and everything, they will discuss every chapter and verse and every word in the Word of God. And he's translated the Bible in 123 different languages and still he don't believe it. Is that sad? That's sad. It goes to show you the ability of the devil to blind your mind to the truth of God's Word. Isn't that amazing? Wow! In whom not seeing you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Most of us have not seen Jesus, but boy, when I see a man like Tommy back there get healed, I know Jesus showed up that day, don't you, Tommy? Ain't no doubt. When I prayed for one eater and seen them cataracts go away off her eyes, I'm telling you, Jesus showed up that day. I can't take them things off. I can't take the cancer out of him. I can't heal his carpal tunnel. I mean, Tommy, I think he'd had surgery on what, one hand, 
and on, on carpal tunnel, hadn't had it on the other, but still had pain in both wrists. And after we prayed for him, the pain and everything's gone away. The guy's totally healed. Can, I mean, can we praise and worship the king over those kind of things? I'm telling you, I can praise and worship the king. Glory to God. And you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, some of the time when I look out across some of y'all, you look like a calf eating pickle pears. <laughs> Only time got that. You would think that y'all would be smiling and praising the Lord once in a while, you know. <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> oh, joy unspeakable. That's what we should have. Praise God. We ought to be, when we leave here, we ought to go, out, we'll go outside. You walk into a restaurant this afternoon to eat. When you walk in, you ought to say, is anybody in this place know Jesus? <laughs> Glory to God. We ought to get thrown out of better places than church. <laughs> you know, that's where you got thrown out of church. You know, good grief. You know, go do something for Jesus. You know, it's amazing what you can do when you get bold for Jesus. Then 2 Peter 1.17. 2 Peter 1.17 For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know what God ought to be saying about you and me? I am well pleased with you. That's what the king should be saying to each one of us. I am well pleased with what you're doing for me. Yes, I gave you the ability to bake a loaf of bread to take it to the neighbor. And every time a neighbor is in need, you bake a loaf of bread and take it over there. Let me tell you, if that's the gift God gave you and you're using it for his glory, you're going to get the same reward as Billy Graham does. You know that? You're going to get rewards. As long as you're fulfilling whatever he gives you, the desires to do, he's going to give you a reward. But you need him to say, I am well pleased with you. Now, everybody's not called to do the same thing. But whatever your calling is, just think about this. He says to them that much is given, much is required. Gee, that's kind of scary, isn't it? If he's given you all these wonderful things, he expects you to produce something for the kingdom, doesn't he? You know, I haven't read the email yet, but we've already been to GLC. How many times, honey? Two or three. That we put, we made program. I don't even know. <clears throat> but the people out there, are we're getting so many praise reports. The people that own GLC contacted us this last week and said, we want you to come back to make more television shows. I thought, Lord, when you say too much is given to us and much is required, Lord, I need a 36-hour day. 24 is not enough. I can't get it done in 24 hours no more. Wow. It's amazing what God is doing. Don't you love serving God? It's so much fun. He's my strength. He's the one who gives us all this stuff. Wow. Now then, Acts 24, 24. 
Acts 24, 24. Now this is, we ought to be living like Paul did so that people call us just like they did Paul, which was in Christ. Acts 24, 24, and it says, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. There ought to be rulers calling you. There ought to be governors calling you. There ought to be all kinds of people calling us, saying, come over here and tell me about this Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We ought to be so different than the world. The world should be knocking down our door to get what we've got. But if you're sick and afflicted, and you're walking in just as much sin as they are, nobody wants what you got. Yeah, I was in a hospital one time in a lady was there. She was not a believer. She was a nurse. And this Christian family came in with a sick person. And they said, you know, we want to pray. Are you a Christian? She said, no. She said, why not? She said, I deal with people all the time. So why should I want to be a Christian? There is more sick people that I minister to that are sick and afflicted and beat up on than there are people that say they're not Christians. So, what have you got that I need? I thought, you know, that's amazing how the world sees us, the church. The church is asleep. I was asleep 45 years of my life. But I'm awake now, a little. Wait till I really get my eyes open. (laughs) Ain't that right, Ty? We're getting them open wider every day, aren't we? We're learning more and more. Like Ty said the other day, he told me, he said, Thurman, the first two demons God showed me, he showed me the demon, he showed me the person, and he showed me exactly what I had to do, how to get this done. God was calling me into a deliverance ministry. And he showed him how it worked twice. And then guess what he did? He said, now I've given you two examples. I've showed you how it worked. He said, now, son, go get them. From now on, they all work just like that. Read my words, study, and go out there and cast them devils out and heal the sick. And that's what you've been doing ever since, right, Ty? And it's lots of fun, praise God. But he got to see these demons, and he got to see how it happened. And the Lord told him exactly how to do it. I will have to say, when I ask the Lord to show me about demons... I'll never forget the first house. I was in a Baptist church on Sunday afternoon when the Lord, actually Sunday morning, between 11 and 12, and probably it was about 11.35 because the preacher was already preaching when the Lord spoke to me and said, Son, today, right after this service, I want you to go see John Doe. And I thought to myself, now, Lord, that old guy, he's a bachelor. He ain't going to be at home on Sunday afternoon. It's amazing how we rationalize and discuss and and so again a little later he said the same thing and again a little later he told me three times I mean you know I mean my average man only has to be told twice but God knows I needed a little more I'm a little denser up there sometimes on some things I think I'm kind of a normal man maybe hope not but anyway, after three times, I went over to that house. And I'm going to tell you, when I sat down there and started reading the Word of God, that man, when I turned over and looked at him, I'll never forget what I saw either. 
I saw my first demon manifest in a human being. When you see a man that's normal, and all of a sudden his teeth are clenched, his mouth's wide open, his face is spread apart, and his eyes are that big around, and they're totally green, and they're glaring out at you, let me tell you, I saw something I had never seen before in my life. But I saw a demon in a man manifest looking out at me. And I read four chapters of the book of John before I got that man set free by the word of God. And later that man accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But all those years, 60 years of that man's life, his eyes had been blinded because he had a demon living inside of him. Let me tell you, like Ty said a while ago, he told me, to, he didn't tell y'all, I made this statement before myself. People said, Thurman, I think you're getting where you think there's a demon under every rock. Ty said a while ago, he said, nope, he told that guy, nope, there's not one under every rock, there's two under every rock. <laughs> Well, I'm going to tell you, somebody asked me that one time. You get to where you think there's a demon under every rock. I said, no, I used to think there was a demon under every rock. Now I think there's a hundred of them under every rock. That's about how numerous these beasts are. There's no lack for demons. Those critters are hundreds of millions of them little guys, and they're running all over this planet, devouring whom they may. And that's what's making us sick and afflicting us and doing all the things that's happening. And you, as a Christian, in Christ, you have power over these beasts. You can run them off, but don't invite them in. The way you invite them in is to step out there in their world. Oh, yeah, just go down here to the sin place, whatever it might be. Just start lying, cheating, stealing, just doing anything that's sin. You're just now back out there wallowing around where they are. And you can't wallow in the mud and not get muddy. So you've got to stay over here where Jesus is if you want to get through. Then it says, in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, Romans 3, 24, says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being justified freely by His grace... You know what it means for you, a wicked sinner, to be justified? You know, that's got to be the most awesome thing that God could do. He could take a man or a woman that's lived the most wicked, awesome life for 60, 70, 80 years that lived in the mire of hell all those years. And that man can, somebody can pray that man into the kingdom. That man can get saved and he can be made just as if he had never sinned in his life. That's beyond me. But he can do that. And I'm grateful he can do that. Of course, where I'm sad is that he got beat up on for 80 years before he accepted Jesus. The ideal thing was to raise him up in a good Christian home and he got saved when he was four or five. Then walk with God all your life. That's the best place to walk. That's the best place to walk. Then he says in Romans 8, Romans 8, 1. Some of you could probably quote that. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, comma, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now you can't walk in the world and not come under condemnation. Now some translations leave out that second line in them in verse 1. But they don't, none of them leave it out of verse 4. 
Verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life. The law. There's a law of the spirit of life. There's a law. A law. I mean, you got a law out there that says you can't drive a 60 mile an hour on a freeway. Or 70 or wherever you're at, whatever. There's a law. If you break the law, you transgress the law, what happens? You get fined. You open the door to the demons. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Oh, there's a law of sin and death? There's two laws there. One of life and one unto death. The devil has his law that if you break it, you trans actually it's God's law, but he's made one of them so that if you transgress that law of sin, it's going to open the door to the demons of hell and they're the executive department that's going to come get you. And when they come into you, they're going to make your life miserable. And they're going to torment you and persecute you. And you don't like it there, do you? No. You won't like it over there, believe me. You may not understand that's what's happening. But you won't enjoy the results of the law of sin and death when you break it. When the demons of hell come upon you to torment you, to persecute you, to put sickness and disease in your flesh, you will not enjoy them doing that to you. But most people don't even know they're the ones doing it. Have no idea that all you got to do is repent and walk with God and you can get rid of sickness and disease. That's all it takes. For what the law could not do in verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So if you walk in the spirit... If you walk in the Spirit, I'm going to tell you, if you walk in the Spirit, you cannot be made sick by the devil. Is that a wonderful place to walk? It's a wonderful place to walk. Now, as a Christian, can you walk under sin? Sure you can. You can, you, you can, there's probably not a single one of us in here today, not one single one of us that hasn't walked under that law of sin and death after we got saved. Nearly everybody I know that's a Christian has been sick and afflicted and tormented and beat upon by the devil after they become a Christian. He sure did it to me a lot of years. But when you get a hold of what this word says, you can kick out that devil and you can walk holy before God and you can come against the devils of hell and you can kick them out. Now then, once in a while, that devil's going to slip up on your blind side and you're not going to be listening to God and you're going to sin. And when you do, you open a door wide open. When you see you've opened that door, close it, slam it quick before the dog gets out or in. It don't take long for a cat to get in if he's standing there and it's cold outside and you crack the door. He gets out and you don't even know it. You didn't even see him. Little animals can do that. That demon is far faster than that dog. He can get right into you. Verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
So you can go either way. You can go home this afternoon when you leave here, and you can, on the way home you can turn on your radio and listen to Somebody Done Somebody Wrong song. And you can sing that stuff, or you go home and watch your soap operas this next week on television, or you can turn on Christian TV, or you can listen to the Word of God on, tele- on radio. It's your choice. You can live in either one of them worlds you want to. For to be carnally minded is death. I don't like that, do you? I don't want to die early. I want to live to be an old, healthy man and be translated out I want to be preaching the word of God, casting out demons, healing the sick. And the Lord says, that's it, son. Bam. Jerks be right out of there. This old body that's in perfect physical shape just says, Whoa. I leave it here. And as I go, I say, Whoa, y'all are on your own with Jesus. I'll see y'all when you get to heaven. Of course, who knows? The rapture might come. He might take us a bunch of us out. We might all leave it one time. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because the carnal mind, in verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're in the flesh, you can't please Him. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's where you're supposed to be. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ... He is none of his. That's scary, isn't it? And if Christ be in you, and if Christ be in you, your body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. We're supposed to live like that. We're supposed to live dead to sin and live unto righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Whose choice is it? Yours. It's yours. So today we're going to continue to teach about who you are in Christ. What you can do in Christ. And everything I'm going to say, I'm going to confirm from Scripture. I went into the Word, and I've done a look up on my computer about in whom? In Christ. All these things about what he has done for us when you're in him. And I'm going to continue today on these things. Father, in the name of Jesus, as I read the word of God and discuss it, I ask you to open our hearts and minds to the magnificent truths that are in this word. I rebuke the devil and command him to get out of this place and not blind nobody's mind here today. And when they leave this place, not to steal a word out of their mind or heart. And Father, I ask you to quicken our hearts and our minds so we can hide the Word of God in our hearts so we will not sin against you. And I praise you and thank you for doing these things for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the King. Okay, to start off with today, I'm going to go back to a scripture where we stopped last week, and that was in Romans 8. Romans 8, 39. 
Romans 8.39. I stopped at verse 13. I'm going to skip down to Romans 8.39. And I want to show you what if you're in Christ, it says, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's not anything that can separate you from the love of God. Now, that will be, you have to remember that. If you don't remember that, you will think there's times God's left you. You will think that when the devil comes upon you and begins to torment you, to torment your family, your wife, your husband, your children or even your, some of your relatives, or he puts sickness and disease upon you, or he causes things around you to be destroyed, things in your house, your car, your property, all the things the devil can come against you with. I mean, the weather can come against you, and everything you will think, God, you don't love me. Where are you? Well, let me tell you, he's right there. And he's given you all power to defeat the devil with. He's there with you. You've got to get that in your spirit that he's with you. But the devil's going to come against you. So you're going to have to pray. And you're going to have to pray more. And if you don't learn how to pray, I mean, sure, she's learned. Every time the devil attacks her anyway, the first thing to either call me on the phone or say, honey, you got to pray for me. The devil's doing this to me or whatever. Well, let me tell you, if you're serving God, the devil is against you. Get used to it. He's going to attack you. And remember, we're not trying to persuade God to do something he's reluctant to do. When we pray, we're on his side. Or he's on our side, whichever way you want to look. Right, Fred? So we, the answer to his promises to his obedient children is yes and amen every time. It's never no. He don't answer your prayer no one time and maybe another time and then yes sometimes. The answer to his promises to his obedient children are yes and amen every time because that's written in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Oh, now then, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Then Romans 9, 1 says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now then, right there in that little message, if you're in Christ, when Paul says, I say the truth in Christ. Now then, if you tell the truth, your loins are supposed to be girded about with truth. The truth of the Word of God. That is part of your armament. People say, well, I get up this morning, I put on my armor. Ephesians 6, 10, put on the whole armor of God. Then he begins to list it. The whole armor. Well, I put on my helmet of salvation. Say, if you got saved, that thing's supposed to be on 24-7. Don't you take it off and leave it at night when you go to bed. Because if you do, the devil's going to get you. Now then, if you've girded your loins about with truth, then you have that protection on as long as you tell the truth. When you tell a lie, you just got a crack in your armor. And there's going to be an error come in. Now, if you've got your shield of faith up, you don't put it down when you go to bed and put it back on in the morning when you get up. You have your shield of faith surrounding you by faith 24-7. Because the devil, he's going to attack you. I'm going to tell you, you can't imagine where the devil attacks you. This morning, I didn't know what time it was, but I was obviously having a dream. Usually Cheryl's not awake this time of the morning. But obviously this morning, for some reason she was... 
I jumped out of bed this morning. It was, I don't know if it's daylight or what. We got all the curtains are pulled and everything, so you really can't tell. It's pretty dark in there. So I jumped out of bed and I said, what time is it? And she said, what do you mean? I said, oh my goodness, I've got to be at that men's breakfast at 7.30. She said, honey, today's Sunday. Go back to bed. I thought it was Tuesday. I was having a dream that it was Tuesday morning. I was supposed to be at speaking at a men's breakfast over in Florida at 7.30 Tuesday morning. And I thought it was Tuesday morning. You know, the devil's working on me. He's putting dreams in my head. And I thought I was late. I'm still two days ahead of time. You know, you see, how, see where I'm coming? He'll work on you every way he can. So you got to realize what's going on. He's working to deceive you. But in, in Romans 9-1, Paul, the truth has got to be in you. If you're in Christ, that's all that should be in you is the truth. He said, I lie not. You should never lie as a Christian. You should never tell a lie as a Christian. If you do, you've got a crack in your armament, and when you do, the devil can fire one of those fiery darts through that. So don't ever tell a lie. If you tell a lie, he's going to get you. Somebody says, well, just a little lie. That's all he's looking for, just a little lie. And he'll break in, and he'll shoot a fiery dart, and it'll bring something to you you don't like. Then he says, my conscious also bearing with me witness in the Holy Ghost. Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit, if you haven't asked the Lord every day of your life to fill you overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit, it should become an ongoing thing. When you wake up praising the king in the morning, you've got to realize that the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, for some reason, diminishes and goes away. Just like using gas in your car. You have to stop and refill your car. I mean, it happened in the book of Acts. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And then a few days later, they're back in there praying for a refilling. And the place was shaken. And the Holy Spirit came back upon them. And they went out and done great signs and miracles and wonders in the name of Jesus. Well, the Holy Ghost is the one that does those things. Without Him, you can't do nothing. So you ask Him to fill you with that Holy Ghost and with power every day. And believe that you have it. Believe that you have it. When you ask, you must believe you have it with no doubt. Then begin to thank Him and praise Him for the Holy Spirit. And say, use me to bring great glory and honor to your name. Then in Romans 12, 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. That's something the church doesn't do well. We got to realize that as Christians, you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ and we're here to fight the battle together. Not against each other. To fight the battle together. So... When you walk in church one morning, or regardless of where you are, when you walk in, and this is what we do as normal Christians. You walk in and say, hey, Brother Fred, how are you doing this morning? And if he's a normal Christian, he said, well, I'm doing pretty good, but my allergies is bothering me today. My, uh, uh, my carpal tunnel, you know, I'm getting a little older, so, you know, my hands are hurting a little, my carpal tunnel. And we say, oh, praise the Lord, brother. I feel sorry for you. But I'll pray for you. You're lying. You ain't going to pray for him. When you say you're going to pray for him, you don't no more do that. If, if, he, if you walk into a brother and he makes those kind of statements, you say, let me kick them devils out of you right now in the name of Jesus. 
That's what you need to do, right, Fred? You don't wait. You know, you pray right then. You know, like that woman at Home Depot the other day come up to me and she said, Thurman, I've got this prayer request. I want you to pray for me. And I said, what's this? And she told me. And I put one hand upon her shoulder. People walking all around us. And I raised the other hand and began to rebuke the devil and praise God. And this woman turned red, purple, green, blue. And when I got through praying, she says, my goodness, I didn't know you was going to do it right here in front of everybody. I said, don't ask me to pray, woman. If you ain't expect, I'm fixing to pray. I'm going to pray. So she said, now I realize that's what we all need to do. I mean, are we, are we the body working together? Yes. yes. Are we all have the same common enemy? Yes. yes, the devil, the beast, and he's coming against us. So we need to be together as one. And we are just like in this church here. Many times people will come up, especially we have a larger group. People will come up here for me to pray for but you know, I got all kinds of prayer warriors in here. Fred can pray, Benjamin can pray, Cheryl can pray, Brittany can pray. We got all kinds of people. Lori, James, you know, uh, all kinds of people here that can pray the prayer of faith for you. Gloria, I mean, you just, I just name them. I can look at it's all kinds of people. So when you come up here, if you don't or can't get to me quick enough, for your problem, find one of these other prayer warriors. We're all one body in one. And, I mean, I, it's something when Lori, a precious little lady that got healed a couple of years ago, has a problem that she has. I walked in at the minister center the other day, and she said, Thurman, I have a real problem. I said, what's that, Lori? She said, I'm getting so many praise reports, I can't remember them all. Oh, Isn't that wonderful? Isn't what, that a real problem to have? Hey, if that's the way we should be as Christians. We should be praying in faith and everything we pray for after we have people sins repented of, we should have those saints come back. I mean, just like Gloria. We get letters that, glory, that praise reports about Gloria all the time. I mean, this woman prayed the prayer of faith for me and I got healed or I got delivered or my finances were met or whatever. Praise God for her. I thought, well, everybody ought to be like Gloria. You know, everybody ought to be praying the prayer of faith. Right, Gene? We need to know how to pray the prayer of faith. You know, but I mean, I'll say one thing, but I mean, you know, she don't need a telephone. You know, you can hear Gloria at least in the six states without a telephone. When she comes against the devil, I mean, the ministry center vibrates out there. She knows how to come against the devil. But that's what you got to do. You get rough with him, right? You get rough with the devil. You knock him out. You knock his lights out. You don't say, oh, God, if it be your will, will you heal so-and-so? You say, no, get your sins repented of. I'm driving that devil out of you, and I'm going to guarantee you Jesus is going to heal you. That's what you do. And we get to see those. And, of course, last Sunday, we had one of those men come up and give his praise report, the guy from Weatherford, Tommy, that had terminal cancer. Some of you were here and heard him tell that testimony. I mean, two months before that, he came to me with terminal cancer. They were going to, MD Anderson, we're going to have to give him chemo and radiation. And him and Tom McClintock, his pastor, brought him over to Minister Center, and I spent five hours with those two men. Maybe six. I know, a long time. And then kicked the devil out of him and prayed the prayer of faith for him after he repented. And when he goes back, I mean, his corporal tunnel went away. His pain in his hands went away. All the problems and pains went away. And now he goes to MD Anderson the week before last now. And they checked him two months after that. He's healed. He's healed. Isn't God awesome? He's awesome. 
So when we fight together or bind together and fight against the enemy which has been defeated, we can kick him out. But that's what God called us to do. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one and members one of another, the body of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, if you're in Christ and you're out there praying for wisdom, the main thing we ought to do is just thank him for it. But if you don't know that, he says you can ask for it. Some people don't know that it's already given to you. Wisdom is yours. But since you don't know that, it's okay to ask for it. But all you've got to do is thank him because it's already yours. If you're in Christ, he's made that for you. So begin to thank him and praise him. Lord, I have wisdom. I have all wisdom. What is wisdom? I used to wonder about that. I think, Lord, what is wisdom? And then one day I got revelation on wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge that you have. That's what wisdom is. A lot of people go to school and get an education. I mean, they get a high school education. They get a college education. They get a master's degree. They get a Ph.D. and don't know what to do with none of it. They don't have enough sense that appears to come in out of the rain. Here a guy is with a Ph.D., all this knowledge in his head, and he's working down at McDonald's as a manager for just a little bit of money. He has no wisdom. Probably he's not in Christ. And if he is in Christ, he's not studied the Word of God, and he doesn't know what's his. Because when he becomes a Christian, all of this wisdom and sanctification and redemption becomes his, and then all the treasures and mysteries of the universe are hidden in Christ, which is in him, according to Colossians 2, 3. And all he's got to do is call upon the Lord and thank him and praise him for these things, and that wisdom will flow through him, and he can do great and mighty things in the name of Jesus. But most people don't know it. Because the devil has blinded our mind to the truth. Then it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now then, when you get saved, you're a babe in Christ. But let me tell you something. When I ask you how long you've been a Christian, and you say 50 years, I don't expect you to still be a babe in Christ. And God doesn't expect you to be a babe in Christ at 50 years of age in Christ. Say you were 15 years old and now you're 65 years old. He expects you to be a full-grown, mature, perfect Christian. But you know what? By the time I'd been a Christian, 25 years, 25 years I'd been a Christian. I'm now serving as a Sunday school teacher in a church. I'm serving as a deacon in a church. I'm doing all kinds of things in a church. Have I ever led anybody to Christ? No. Not one. Do I have any idea who I am in Christ? No. Something wrong with this picture. How can you get to be a deacon? How can you be a Sunday school teacher all those years and have no idea about who you are in Christ? Never seen an answer to prayer? have no knowledge of the devil. 
You just come into church every time the doors open. You love Jesus. The devil comes upon you with sickness and disease. You just go to the doctor. You don't know how to pray a prayer of faith. Nobody's ever taught you. That's where I lived. Until one day I began to open this book and read it. When I really began to read the book, I thought, Lord, if this book is true, I am in big trouble. Because I'm not doing what this book says. I'm not even coming close to doing what it says. And if I am, and when I do this, if I become an obedient child, you've made me unlimited promises. There's no limit on what I can do. I said, Lord, this couldn't possibly be true. And the devil's over there saying, you're right, you're right, you're right. These things are not true. You're misinterpreting all of this. But I found out I wasn't misinterpreting. It was all true. But we, we remain babes in Christ, many of us, all through our entire life. We never get into the spirit world and see what we can do. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's when you're supposed to become on fire with life. You're not under the devil's domain anymore. The Word of God says he delivered you from the kingdom of hell, the kingdom of darkness, out there in the muddy, sloppy, sin pit of the world, and he translated you into the kingdom of light and put a clean, pure white robe on you and made you a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. Now you're supposed to act like one. But I didn't know that. I'd read that, but it didn't mean anything to me. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14 Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. <coughs> what? Now thanks be unto God, which always, not just part of the time, He always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. Now if we're to triumph in Christ and we're to make known or make manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place, you and I, as I run into a place like I did in Baltimore yesterday, and I run into a man that's lost, and I have been given all power and all dominion over the devil, I can kick that devil out of that man and ask the Father in Jesus' name to convict him of sin and expect him to bring him into the kingdom and save him. And people say, oh, I prayed for Uncle John for 30 years. I prayed for my husband. I prayed for my sister. I prayed for my wife for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And I've asked God, God, please, if you're willing, will you save Uncle John? And he says, that's what I wanted to do. I've been trying to do that all the time, but I can't answer that kind of a prayer. You've got to do something in faith. Yes, it is my will to save not only Uncle John, but the whole world. Well, then, Lord, what's the problem? Read the Word. I told you if there's any lost on this earth, they're lost because of God of this world, which is the devil's blinded man. I told you I give you all power and authority over him. He has to be subject to you. So kick him out in my name. 
I told you nobody can be saved except to be drawn by the Father, which I send the Holy Spirit. You asked me to send the proper labor into the harvest to bring Uncle John in after you've kicked the devil out of him, and I'll get him saved for you. How long did it take me to get Nicholas saved yesterday? Five minutes. That was his name, Nicholas. The man stood out on the front porch with his wife with tears running down after it was over, and I said, Praise God, brother, welcome into the kingdom of God. He said, thank you for being here today. You know what happened in his life right there that day? His eternity just took a change for the better. Every one of you that are born again know that man at 66 years old was headed to the pit of hell. If he'd have died, he'd have been in hell, in the flames of hell. Do you want to see anybody go there? I don't. So what do you do? You pray. You come against the forces of darkness. You quote the word of God to the king. And then you call the king in remembrance of his promises. And when you call him into remembrance of his promises, he sets up and takes notice. Jeremiah 1.12, he said, I watch over my word to perform my word. You can do all the begging and pleading and everything you want to, and nothing will happen. But when you start speaking the word, the angels of God hearken to the word, the angels of hell hearken to the word, and the Holy Spirit hearkens to the word of God spoken in the earth today. And it brings forth great and awesome miracles. The book of Acts has never gone away. Only we got to a point where we don't believe the book. But when we believe it, we get people saved and healed and delivered. Then he says, 2 Corinthians 3.14. 2 Corinthians 3.14. But their minds were blinded. Their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil, the veil that's blinded their minds, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. When you read the Old Testament to a Jew, the veil is there. But when you read the New Testament to them, and you kick the devil out and get them saved when they come into the kingdom, it's like yesterday that man was a totally different man. Totally different. And he was. He now has become a born-again Christian. But does that mean the devil's going to give up on him? Absolutely not. He will attack him even more now because he's become a son of God. You're really not in a war until you get saved. When you get saved, that's when the battle starts, isn't it, Benjamin? When you get saved and you come into the kingdom, the devil says, Thurman Scrivener got saved when he was 11 years old, and at the, up until that time, I didn't need hardly no demons, maybe one or two after him. But once he got saved, I sent some of my best demons out there to keep him out of the word and to blind his mind to the truth. And they did a good job for 25 or 30 years. A good job. But because of the pounding of the Holy Ghost, continuing to beat on this, and it's kind of like a levy. 
you want to build a great big giant levee if the water keeps beating on that and beating on it and beating on it eventually it will cut a little hole under it once it gets a little hole and the water starts flowing under it you're in trouble you can't stop it you better get out and that's what the devil does to us he keeps pounding us pounding on us he'll put devastating things in our pathway to destroy us or whatever or put sickness and disease upon us as Christians and we yield to it and we yield to sickness and disease we don't stand in faith so the devil takes us out with all kinds of sickness and disease how many Christians do I know that I've heard say what I used to say well you know if you got sick we pray for you do you think God will do anything well I don't know whether he will or not he's sovereign he can if he wants to, but I don't know if he will or not. You know how many prayers I saw answered like that? None. None. But when you get a man to repent of his sins of unbelief, and you kick that devil out of them, I've seen people instantly healed of terminal cancer. I'm going to tell you something that's a dangerous thing. Happened to me. I got a woman healed a few years ago of terminal cancer. This woman was a beautiful woman. Her husband idolized her. She was so beautiful. Instead of making God his idol, he made his wife his idol. She came down with terminal cancer. And it's amazing where he attacked her. Breast cancer. Destroyed her breast. She was on her deathbed. Had a matter of days to live when I was called. And I went there and I explained to that husband and that wife who the enemy was and what he was doing. They both repented. And I cast that devil of hell out of that woman. And the thing that I remember about that woman, that little woman was probably weighed 75 or 80 pounds max that day. I looked across at her and I said, Ma'am, have you heard enough of the word of God to be healed? And that little Baptist woman, I'll never forget what she said. She looked across at me and she said, Sir, after what I've heard you teach today, I know it's a devil. You come over here and you cast this devil of hell out of me and I'm going to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. That's the kind of faith God's looking for. I went over there and anointed that little dried up woman with oil, anointed her, cast that devil out of her, and that woman got up off that deathbed and went with her husband to take me to the airplane and come back and stopped and had a fried shrimp dinner and she hadn't had a bite to eat in three weeks. She was healed. By faith, she received what belonged to her. And she gained all of her weight back. Six, eight months later, some people had paid my airplane ticket to go down there and brought a picture of that woman to me. And I looked at this 125 or 30 pound beautiful woman with a big, beautiful smile. And I said, wow, I don't know who that woman is. And they said, that's so-and-so. I said, oh, she looks a little different today than she did when I was down there. But that man went back to idolizing that woman. She was totally healed for about five years. And then somebody asked the question one day. Isn't it wonderful what Jesus did for your wife? He said, you know, it really wasn't that that healed her. It was the herbs and things that I had been giving her that healed her instead of the word of God. You know what happened to that woman? In 30 days, that woman was dead. God don't share his glory with nothing. When that man thought it was him and the stuff he was giving her that got her healed, that beautiful woman that he idolized, in 30 days she was dead. 
you got to be careful who you give the glory to. Don't you ever take it. You can be dead. Smith Wigglesworth was totally convinced that's why he died at 87. People got to where they'd call in. They said, Mr. Wigglesworth, would you come over to America or Australia, wherever? We know that you're the healer. He said, I'm not the healer. He said, Jesus is a healer. He said, don't you dare say I'm the healer. He said, God will take me out. And people begin to think he was a healer. They looked to him. He was a healer. He said, no, it's Jesus. But at 87, he dropped dead in a pulpit preaching a message. 87. God took him out. God don't share his glory with nobody. He's the healer. He's the savior. He's the deliverer. This whole thing's about him. We're just very fortunate. We get to be the body. And we get to speak in his name and see him do these things. But don't you dare ever take any of the credit for getting somebody saved, healed, or delivered. It was God speaking through you that got it done. He could have done it through anybody. But he's looking for a willing vessel. So when he starts moving, you know how easy it is to get puffed up? When God starts using you in a mighty way, somebody comes in and thinks you're somebody. Hey, you got to say, just like Paul did that day, look at me, guys, tears his shirt open. I'm flesh and blood just like you. But let me tell you about the one that did these wonderful things. It's not me. But he does allow us to be used to speak these things. But don't ever take the glory. He can take you out in a heartbeat. He don't share his glory with nobody. Nobody. So give him the glory and the praise. Galatians 3.26 Galatians 3.26 For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. How do we become children? How do we become children of God? By faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we become children. For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you were baptized into Christ, if you believe that, you believe that by faith, you were saved. Now then, only God knows who is and who's not his children. But you can tell pretty well. You can't always be right. But you can tell pretty well. If somebody comes in and says they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and five years later, they haven't been back to church, they don't want nothing to do with Jesus, they're still out there in the world, they're still lying, cheating, committing adultery or whatever, stealing, doing all the things the devil does, more than likely they never got saved. But you really don't know that. Only God really knows the truth. But you can come against the devil and you can change that person. If they did get saved, then the devil moved right in and blinded their mind to the truth. Because when you get a person that really knows Jesus, I want you to think about what I'm saying. If you really, really know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you won't never pick up another cigarette to smoke it. If you really, really know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you won't never get drunk again in your life. Amen. 
Do you know that? If you really, really know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will never commit adultery on your spouse. Never. Because the Holy Ghost in you will keep you from doing it. Now, if you're just a born-again Christian that's walking carnally, there ain't no telling what you're going to do. But if you've studied this Word and you've learned who you are, those are things that I believe that no man or woman would ever do again. You may not be in agreement with me, but I'm going to tell you, a possessor of eternal life, a true spirit-filled son of God will never, ever smoke or get drunk or go out and lie and steal and cheat and commit adultery on their spouse. If you really know Jesus and he's in you and you're full of the Holy Ghost and power, you ain't going to do those stupid things. You cannot be drawn away by the devil to do those things. But unfortunately, I don't know too many of those kind of people in the church. Do you? What's wrong with us? Now, if you're a babe in Christ and you're carnal, like Paul talks about, and you're a six-month-old babe, I can understand. When you brought your children into the world and they were one year old, you couldn't tell what they were going to do. You might even have a child three years old or four years old or five years old and they, you can't never tell. I mean, you have the preacher over, like people used to do a long time ago. We don't have time to do these things no more. But when I was a child, mother used to invite the preacher once every two or three months home with us for dinner. You know, we didn't have things to do like we have today. So when he'd come to the house, you know, you'd have a little boy sitting there and the little boy's four or five years old. And he might say something at the dinner table like, uh, you know, brother, I, I, I want to know, do you know my daddy says you're the worst preacher he ever seen? <laughs> and daddy just shrieks. <laughs> now see, he didn't know, he's just repeating what he'd heard. Wow. Mom and daddy said, and daddy said, you know, I think, uh, I think brother, I mean, he's the worst preacher I ever heard in my life, you know. So we invited me to dinner one day. I'm sitting there, five-year-old says, Brother Thurman, my daddy says you're the best preacher he ever heard in his life. <laughs> Five years old will do that kind of stuff, won't they? <laughs> well, see, that's the way we are when we're babes in Christ. You can never tell what we're going to say or we're going to do. So you really have to be on guard. So the thing about it is don't be that little child. Don't stay that little child. Get in the Word. Begin to learn how to pray. Seek God. And grow up out of that carnality into a spirit-filled son or daughter of the King of the universe. And you can grow up rather quickly. It all is contingent upon how much of the time you spend with God in His Word, right? You get in His Word, you begin to read this and pray over it. Read it and pray over it. Say, Lord, I don't want to be a carnal Christian no more. I want to be a spirit-filled, I want to be a Holy Ghost-filled Christian. I want to be a Christian that you can use for your glory. I am putting those eight series we taught on how to walk in God's anointing on two DVDs instead of eight videotapes. I put four of them on last week. And eventually I'll have the other two on. The other 
CD or DVD made with the other four teachings on it. So you'll be able to see all those 15, 14, 15, 16 hours of teaching on two DVDs. If you want to know what you got to do to walk in that anointing that everybody wants to walk in, you want to know what the Word of God says about it, you need to get those and listen to those two teachings. Or actually, those two DVDs, which are now eight teachings. It is very demanding to walk where God wants you to walk. And that's why there's so few people that do it. They will not spend the time with God to learn who they are and what they can do and how to do it in faith. But it's available. Then he says, verse 27, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 20, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm certainly glad that God knows this. But the church that I was raised up in doesn't know this. They've read it, but it's not become a revelation to you. You want to bring a woman into the Baptist church and let her speak from the pulpit as a preacher? You're going to have a war on your hands. You want to bring a woman in and make her a deaconess? You're going to have a war on your hands. But do you know in the New Testament church there was deaconesses and deacons. And God called out women to be prophets. He called them out to be healers. He called them out to do everything. I am certainly glad that God doesn't know that he can't use a woman. <clears throat> because since he don't know that, he uses them many ways to do many things. Now the devil lies to us and women are very limited in what they can do in most churches. I think about the story I heard a woman tell. I heard her tell this personally. Her and her husband went to Bible college together. And it was a charismatic kind of a Bible college. And they went to Georgia, I believe it was, and they started a church down there. And they got a pretty good size, a few hundred. And every once in a while, her husband would ask her to preach. And every time she would, there was one guy out there, every time he saw she was going, he'd get up and go outside. And she asked her husband one day, Every time I get up to speak, he gets up and walks outside. Would you ask him why he does it? He said, he never comes back in while I'm speaking. So he asked him. He said, you know, I don't believe women should be allowed to speak in the church. For sure not teach. So he said, well, okay. You know, that's your conviction. So one day, after her husband told his wife about this... She got up to speak one day, and he left. And she said, you know, I really don't want to offend him, so maybe I shouldn't speak. He said, no, it's okay. When the Holy Ghost moves on me, that I feel like you're supposed to give a message, you just get up and give the message. So he left. So that day after church, they were all gathering around outside. People were leaving and everything. And all of a sudden, they heard a screech of tires and a thud, and a body goes flying, and it lands over here, and it was the guy that got up and went outside. He had been hit by a car, and a paramedic that had in his church that had been in Vietnam runs over and checks him, and this sister so-and-so, she runs over there, and she said, the paramedic says, Sister, I'm sorry. It's too late. He has no heartbeat. That impact killed him. 
That woman says, no, Lord, no, I'm not going to let him go out like this. And that woman began to pound on his chest and say, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you told me I could ask anything. I command life back in him in the name of Jesus. She's, this woman is really, people think she's making a fool out of herself. She's pounding on this guy's chest. Live in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he opens his eyes, and he's okay. And, and the paramedic says, he, we got, he's okay. And so they call 911, send him down to the hospital. They check him out. He comes back, and that night at the service, he's there. And she's supposed to speak. And so she gets up to speak. And when she gets up and starts to speak, he raises his hand and says, Hallelujah, sister, preach on. <laughs> I mean, when a woman raises you from the dead, it's time to listen to her, don't you think? <laughs> when the devil's killed you and that little woman raised him from the dead. I'm, I'm, don't want you to get glad God doesn't know that he can't use women. He can use a woman just like he can a man because in the church, there's neither male nor female. We're just all one in Christ Jesus. And we need to get a hold of that. You are no more important than the person sitting beside you. I don't care what nationality, color, creed, anything, male or female. It makes no difference. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Wow. We've got to get a hold of that. We've got to work together as sons and daughters of the king of the universe. Galatians chapter 6 verse 15. Galatians 6.15 For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. But as many as walk according to this rule peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. As many as walk according to this rule if you're in Christ peace be on you. Now, what if you don't walk according to that rule? Then peace is not going to be upon you. He's speaking a blessing. He's speaking a blessing. As long as we realize we're all one in Christ, then Paul has spoken a blessing over every one of us, which will come to pass. He spoke these blessings years and years ago. Now, we can still speak those and do those today. But we need to realize, for in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision availeth anything, but a new creature. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And as many as walk according to this rule, as new creatures in Christ, one, the body is one. Peace be on them, and mercy upon us all. Those are blessings that Paul spoke to us. Now Ephesians 1. And I'm telling you, when I got a hold of this, when I read this, I thought, this cannot possibly be true. This just can't be true. It's too good to be true. And when you read something, the guy says, call us, and for $29.95, we'll give you a package that show you how to become a multimillionaire. Let me tell you, that sounds too good to be true, and if you see it on television, it's too good to be true, so don't waste your $29. If they knew how to do that, they would be there. So when you get those kind of deals, it sounds too good to be true. So we have been steeped in the world system, and the world system, the devil, will do things like that to make things sound too good to be true, and they will be. But he'll try his best to deceive you to get you to buy things and do things, and probably every one of us has been suckered in on some of those things at one time or another. 
I know I have. You know, I've tried little things that sounded very good, and usually it didn't work out. If you want to be blessed, you've got to do it God's way, not the devil's way. But listen to this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, who's this to? All of us. Not only was he writing it to the Christians at Ephesus, but to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, are you a faithful Christian? Then this is promises to you. If you are a faithful Christian walking in obedience to God's word, this promises to you. What if you're not a faithful Christian? What if you're walking in disobedience? Then it's not to you. But it's only to those that walk faithful. Grace be to you and peace from God to the person that's walking faithful in Christ Jesus. From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this promise. Verse 3. Blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Are you a faithful Christian in Christ? Are you walking in obedience to his word? Then not only shall grace and peace be multiplied to you, walking in faithfulness and obedience to the word, but all spiritual blessings or spiritual gifts are already yours. He's already given those to us and laid them out on the table and said, here they are. They're yours. Take them and run with them. What? Well, Lord, I've been praying for the gift of knowledge for years. I've been praying for the gift of wisdom for years. I've been praying for the gift of miracles for years. I've been praying for the gift of healing for years. And he said, you've been wasting your breath. Amen. I've already given it to you. Take it and act on it. Run, for it. Run with it. Do something. You see somebody that needs something? If you're grown in Christ, you see a brother that needs something, you see a person out there in the workplace that gets burned or whatever, whatever it may be, run up and use that gift. I've already given it to my faithful, obedient children that are walking in obedience to my word. Walk up and do something to them. Pray for them. Lay hands on them. Say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Quote the word. And I'll watch over the word to perform it. You want to see God do some wonderful things? Learn who you are. And then act on his word. I mean, I mean, I know I've told some of these stories so many times, some of you are getting tired of hearing them. But I'll tell you what, when you take the Word of God, I mean, I, every time I think about just a few years ago when that little woman, I don't even know if that Spanish woman was a Christian or not, but all I know is there was a need. And I knew these spiritual gifts belonged to me as a son of God. And when I hear this woman screaming and go look and see all that skin burned off of her arm, I mean, that woman's in pain. Now, what do I have in me? All these mighty powerful things as a son of God. All I got to do is act on them. I don't have to go say, oh God, would you please give me the gift of healing? Would you give me the gift of miracles so I can do, maybe I can, maybe Lord, I might be able to do something for this poor woman. He said, no son, I've already blessed you with all those things. Go use it. I've given you that power. Go do something with it. So then that's when you Step out in faith. And the world thinks you're making to make a fool out of yourself when everybody's doing everything they know how to do. 
doctoring with medicine and salve and all the stuff. They do. Cold water. And you run up and quote the word. Jesus said in Isaiah 53, 4, that he bore your pain so you won't have to have that pain. He bore your griefs and your sorrows, which means pain and sickness in the Hebrew. If Jesus bore your pain, does he plan for you to have pain? Yeah. Nope. So you say, Jesus said in Isaiah 53, 4, he bore your pain. So woman, you want to bear it. And then in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus told me to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And then in Mark eleven twenty three, the king says, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I shall have whatsoever I say. I said, woman, I guarantee you're going to get a supernatural healing from the king and his name is Jesus. And you turn and walk off. Everybody think, wow. The Lone Ranger just swooped by here and quote a few words and he's gone. Now, I might have been the Lone Ranger, but I was speaking God's mighty word. And who watches over his word to perform it? The king. So within minutes, this poor woman that burned her arm had no pain. If you've ever had a burn, especially one that's a foot long on your arm and two or three inches wide, if you've ever had anything like that, you know you need something supernatural. Very few people get it, but it's available to everybody. But the pain was gone in a few minutes. The woman wouldn't even go to the doctor. She went ahead and worked that evening, and everybody saw this huge blister on her arm. He left it there for everybody to see. I got to see it again when I went up to lunch that evening. Everybody wanted to go to the doctor because we all go by what we see. But I'd made a statement, three of them from the Word of God, and I believed it. Her husband even tried to take her to the doctor when she got home, and she wouldn't go because there was no pain. But the next morning, when that little woman woke up and looked at her arm, there's not one single burner mark on her arm. When she comes to work, Melanie, the little cook, Adelina, how's your arm? She says, look. And Melanie screamed, throwed up her stuff, and she said, my goodness, another answer to Thurman's prayer. <laughs> Or whenever two guys from Hobart Corporation walks into your office and sitting down telling you what they'll charge you to rebuild one of these huge dish machines and after you get through with business you say by the way you two guys Christians well uh, yeah where do you go to church uh, well I'm a, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian and uh, uh, well, I'm a Lutheran and uh, well you guys go to church uh, uh, yeah sometimes you know I said, what a shame. You guys need to be in church all the time. The devil's cheated you. That way you don't ever see no miracles, do you? Miracles? Who ever seen a miracle? We don't see one. And then one of your leads walk in right quick. And Dan said, oh, by the way, I told him we just sat there and we had a little problem. So we prayed over and God answered the prayer. And the guy says, what? He said, you've seen answers to prayer? Oh, he said, before he came here, i never seen any. But since he came here, he said, we see miracles every day. It's normal now. <laughs> What a place to work, huh? Now then, should we all be living there? Absolutely. As Christians, we should all be living there. If you're not seeing God do those kind of things, how many of these spiritual gifts are yours? Now wait a minute now. What do you not understand about all? 
getting, I can just see Paul out there on the hills of heaven saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all these spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Go do something with this stuff, folks. And we're the same church. They said, well, that's nice that it works for Paul, but you know, I mean, you know. Hey, it don't just work for Paul, it works for anybody, doesn't it, Gloria? Well, Gloria, she's got a hold of it. I mean, Cheryl's getting a hold of it. I mean, she's praying for all kinds of people. I mean, she prayed for a guy, what was it, two years ago or something? This guy come up to her the other night in the restaurant. Here she is out there. And he said, he, you prayed for, I think it was his leg or something? His knee gave way and he fell on the floor. Yeah, he'd, it, 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 she had prayed over his leg. He'd fell and hurt his leg. And she right there prayed for him. And he said, I was healed when you prayed for me. In a, right there in a restaurant. I mean, now, now surely God wouldn't show up in a restaurant. Well, he does. He shows up in cafeterias. He shows up anywhere faith is exhibited. How many of these spiritual blessings or spiritual gifts belongs to the church? All of them. Oh, God, please, if it's possible, would you please just for just a little while give me the gift of healing so I might be able to use it? He said, no, I've already given it to you. Go do something. Go act on it. Straighten your act up. Stop sinning. Walk holy before me. And then you go out there and touch somebody in faith in the name of Jesus and you watch me do my thing. Woo! You get to see him do wonderful things. Blessed be the God of Father. That couldn't be right, could it? That's got to be a misprint in my Bible. Did you read like that, Fred? Yes, it did? <laughs> we must not be reading it right then, right? What does it say? Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has already blessed us with, it must be a few spiritual blessings. Or maybe one. It couldn't be all of them, could it, Benjamin? Okay, so it says all. Okay, so if your old Bible read like mine, then I guess I'm going to have to say it's all. If he's blessed us with all, then what do we have to pray for? It's amazing what he has given us. I'll tell you what we can pray for. We can pray that the eyes of the church will be opened. We can pray and rebuke the devil, command him to get his hands off, because obviously he's done a good job of blinding the mind of the church. All spiritual blessing. You're supposed to be the healers in the name of Jesus. You're not supposed to be coming to church as Christians to get healed. You're supposed to, you are the healed. The devil's trying to make sick. That's right. You know, you need to learn that when you go to the throne of grace, when you go up to your daddy's. In fact, I, I see people all the time say, you know, Mr. Scrivener, I, I just, I just can't boldly come into the throne of grace. When I try to do that, I go in there, and all of a sudden I think about seeing God there, and I think, oh, God, you'll kill me. I can't come up here. Well, let me tell you, when you see yourself in Christ, you can. Because if you're inside of him, when you walk up there, who is, who's all around you? Christ. When God looks at you, who's he looking at? Christ. Was Christ perfect? Yes. Yes, and if you're in him, you're perfect. Ooh, when you get a hold of that picture, you can walk up before daddy in the throne and race, say, Dad, I got a problem down there. That devil's beating up on a certain guy down there. He said, yes, son, I'm listening to you. What do you want? I told you to come boldly in here. You don't come in here crying, begging, pleading. You want to say, Dad, that devil's beating up on my husband or my wife down there on earth. I'm my grandson, whatever it is. I'm coming against that beast in the name of Jesus. I'm speaking to that devil from the throne of grace, and I'm demanding that he get his hands off of my spouse or my grandson or whoever it is. In the name of Jesus. Now, Father, 
I ask you to send the mighty Holy Spirit down and begin to convict him of sin and bring him into the kingdom and save him. He said, now we're getting somewhere. That's what I've been trying to do. I've just been waiting on somebody to do something in faith. And when you do it, he does it. And life becomes fun. When you realize the battle that's going on and the power you have over the devil, you can smile about this, can't you, young lady? Yes, you can. You can see him answer your prayers too, can't you, Brittany? And then you don't have to sweat that devil no more, do you? You know he's out there. You know he's going to come by and test you, but you don't have to yield to him no more. When he tries to tempt you with something wrong, you say, oh, devil, I happen to be a daughter of the king of the universe. And I have power over you, so just get behind me, devil. In fact, let me <laughs> stomp you under my feet. You're trying to get me to sin? I don't go there no more. I'm a child of God. So you've got to remind him who you are. Because if he can suck you back down on his level, he'll get you out there where he lives. And then when he gets you out there where he lives, you will have fell from grace, transgressed the law of God. And he says, now I got you. I'll get you. And he does a good job, doesn't he, Fred? He really does. So how many of the spiritual gifts belongs to us? How many are there that's listed in 1 Corinthians 9? Wisdom. Knowledge, prophecy, healing, miracles, faith, tongues, discernment of spirits. Those all belong to who? Us. Us, the church, in Christ, everything. So you don't have to pray about that, do you? You take them, you repent of your sins of unbelief, and act on these mighty things. You know what the devil will do to you? You know what he did to me that day whenever I come running down that hallway and I grabbed that woman in front of all those people and quoted those things? You know what the devil was doing? He's saying, you fool. You fool. It's just like the night that the Lord, I was sitting back there and the pastor said, let's stand and be dismissed. And whenever we stood up, I just, if I ever been drugged down, led by the Holy Spirit, it was that night. I mean, he, he pulled me out as I stood up. He pulled me right out in that aisle and brought me right down this aisle. And when I got down there, I thought, Lord, what am I going down here for? I didn't know. But this was in a Baptist church. And when I got here, the pastor held his hand out and I shook his hand with my right hand and laid my left hand upon his shoulder I started to say, Brother, I don't know why I'm down here. But the minute I started to open my mouth, the Lord spoke to me in a pretty rough tone. He said, Son, get up on that platform and call this church to pray for Martha Scott so I can heal her. Now, I told that Baptist preacher a few months before when God spoke to me sitting right there, on the front row that morning three times what to tell that preacher to do for his sister was just losing her kidneys. And he refused. I told him and he would not tell. He would not do it. The Lord told me three times sitting right there where Benjamin sitting on, in a Baptist church and the preacher right up here. He spoke to me three times that morning told me what to tell that preacher to do for his, daughter, his sister so she wouldn't have to lose her kidneys. And I went and told him and he refused to do what he what, told me. And so she lost her kidneys. And now then she's back. She had a transplant. 
and now the kidneys have failed and she's back in the hospital dying and so the Lord wasn't ready for her to die so he drug me out and that, I stepped up on that platform when I stepped up I said the Lord just spoke to me now that's something you don't see very often in a Baptist church I said the Lord just spoke to me standing right there and he told me to call this church to pray for Martha Scott so he can heal her so I said let's stand up and pray that Baptist bunch just stood there nobody done nothing I said look if you want to see a God do a miracle, you get out on your knees, get out here at the front, or get out the back door. But I said, if you want to see God do something, you got to do something. He said, come and pray and heal, heal Martha Scott. And so, people started moving then. And they come, some come to the front, and some knelt, some just stood where they were, some didn't know what they thought, oh, this crazy guy. But I turned around and knelt up and prayed about five minutes, or a few minutes, and while I was standing there, the devil said, Oh, you have made a fool out of yourself. They ain't, nobody will ever come back to this church ever again. And the pastor's over here screaming his heart out. He's crying to the top of his lungs. I can only hear him saying, This fool, this idiot, he's ruined my church. There's nobody will ever come back here again. I told the devil, I said, Devil, you're a liar. I said, I've done exactly what Jesus told me to do, so I'm expecting a miracle. I got up and one of the old gentlemen come up to me and he says, I mean, the word of God says go lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. I said, Woo! Yes, it does. He said, Let's go down to that hospital and lay hands on that girl. I said, Let's go. The pastor said, I want to go with you. So six of us got in Ed Buchanan's van. We drove down here downtown Dallas, walked in about nine o'clock on Sunday night. And that we walked in there and that woman said, What are you men doing up here in ICU this late? It's past visiting hours. I said, Jesus sent us down here to pray for Martha Scott so she can get well. She said, well, in that case, I'll let you and one other man go in that room. So me and one man went in that room. I quoted a few verses, knelt down beside her bed, prayed the prayer of faith for her, rebuked the devil, went out of that room, walked in. Her daddy's a Baptist preacher, her brother's a Baptist preacher, and all of us guys that were there, we all knelt and prayed another 15, 20, 30 minutes and worshiped and praised the Lord. We got in that van, drove back an hour, back to Justin, worshiped and praised the King all the way back. The next afternoon at 4 o'clock, I thought four churches, before he's gone home, I'll call him at the church to see how Martha did. I said, how's Martha? He said, Thurman, the doctors don't understand. Her fat count is changing so fast. I said, you mean she ain't home yet? He said, not yet, but said, at this rate, she will be soon. I expected the king to do a greater miracle. And the only reason he didn't do it quicker is because of all the unbelief is in that place. But let me tell you, Wednesday night I walked into service and sitting right over here was Martha. And let me tell you, that's been years ago. And the other day I was out at Justin and that pastor was back visiting that Sunday afternoon when I happened to be out there. I said, by the way, brother. Have you ever started preaching healing in your church yet? He kind of hung his head and he said, no, Thurman. I said, how's Martha doing? Oh, he said, she's totally well. She's okay. She ain't never had another problem. I looked him right in the eye and I said, you know, I'd hate to be in your shoes one day when you stand before the king. That's right. That's right. I said, I'd hate to be in your shoes when you stand before the king. I said, he told you to preach the word. And I said, you are going to be accountable to the king of the universe as one of his pastors. And you have deceived the people by not speaking what you know is the truth. 
I said, God has healed your daughter. He's healed your sister. And he's done all these mighty miracles. And you got to see him heal Fred Simmons right there that day from terminal cancer instantly overnight on Sunday night. When I said, let's pray for him before he goes home. And the next morning, Monday, he went to the hospital and there was no prostate cancer. I said, you saw God do all those things and you still refused to teach his word. I said, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I don't want to be playing church when I go home. I'd rather the world and even the church say, this guy's crazy. I don't care who I please as long as I please the king. As long as we please the king. We're going to please a few of the church. You ain't going to please them all. But you please a few. But we only want to please one when we come home. And that's Jesus. Be walking in love, doing what he says. And when you do that, when you're a man of faith, the world, not only the world, the church will not understand you. But that's okay. Jesus will show up and do mighty signs and miracles and wonders for you. And I love to see him answer my prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you're always here. I thank you that you come to confirm your word. Now, Lord, as people come forth for prayer, whatever it may be to make Jesus Lord of their life, to get saved, to get healed, to get delivered, or to stand in proxy for their mates or their children or whatever they come for, I ask you to meet every need and answer every prayer and bring great glory and honor to the name of Jesus because he came and defeated the devil so we can do these things in his name. And Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for these women that are mothers. And every woman that's here, even though she may not have been privileged or blessed to be a mother, I ask you to bless every woman here in a mighty way, whether they be young or old. Bless them this week in a mighty way so they can be used of you for your glory. But Lord, for the men also, I ask you to bless everyone so we will go from here today more knowledgeable of who we are in Christ and may we be used of you for your glory to do great and mighty things this week in the precious name of our Savior. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. I praise you and thank you and worship you, Father, for the word. I rebuke every enemy of hell in this place today and command every evil spirit to leave this place, to not steal a word out of anybody's mind or heart as they leave today. I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to send warring angels to watch over us, all of us, to keep us safe from the devil and to keep him from stealing the word of God out of our minds and our hearts. Now, Father, may the Holy Spirit lock the Word of God in our hearts so we'll hide it in there, so we'll have it so we can recall it anytime we want to, so we can use it against the enemy and to bring great glory and honor to the kingdom of God. We praise you and thank you, Father, for the privilege to be your children and to be on your side. Help us to walk holy before you in obedience to your Word and to learn who we are so we can do what you told us we can do as children for the Most High God. And I praise you and thank you, Father, for this day and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10 is where we're going to start. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one 
all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. That in the dispensation or the fullness of time, he might gather together in one, which is in Christ, all things, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. So you don't want to miss this great, magnificent thing of being in him or in Christ. Because he's going to gather all this together at the end of this age. And the end of this age is rapidly approaching. The king's return is very close at hand. Now I'm going to tell you, Jesus is coming. I don't care what anybody tells you, Jesus is coming. And that coming is very close. You need to make sure you do your warfare praying for your loved ones. You need to get right. You need to walk in love. You need to look for his approaching because the king of the universe is coming back to this earth. He's coming to get you very soon. Don't be surprised when it happens. Be ready. Be looking up. Every day of your life, be prepared. Walk holy before him because he is coming again. Be looking for him. Then in verse 11, he says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. So if you're in Christ, you have an inheritance. Well, let's look and see what it is. You're being predestinated according to the purposes of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He's got a plan. And he's working that plan together for the fullness of time because Christ is soon to return. In verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. We should be to the praise of his glory. We are his children. If you have children, and many of you in here have children or have had children, if your children... I mean, I can only imagine those of you that had children that love sports. Let's say you had a daughter and she was good at uh, soccer or, or she was good at baseball. When you went to her events and she got up to bat if she was play and she hit a home run, I'm sure you'd just sat there and say, oh, well, my daughter just hit another home run. No. That's not like that. You jump up and down and scream and say, That's my daughter. Look at her go. Run, honey, run. She's to praise of your glory, isn't she? You love them. You love those kids. Whenever they, your son, he's out there and he's, maybe he's a back on the football game or something and they hand off the ball to him and he goes right through the center of the line and he knocks down two or three of them and he looks like he's headed for a touchdown. I can see mom and daddy jumping him and said, especially mama said, look at that, there goes my son. <laughs> when they're doing everything according to the praise and glory, they're your sons. Yeah. <laughs> when he ain't doing too good, he says, daddy, your son. <laughs> oh, that's the way we do it too, huh? They ain't to our praise and glory when they're breaking the rules and nobody wants to obey. So if we are that way, what do you think it must be like 
whenever we do good things that brings glory and honor to Jesus. What do you think? I mean, I can give you an example from the Word of God I think is so awesome. I think here was Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost and power, just a deacon in the church. I mean, just a little guy, but he got a hold of these promises, and he's walking holy before God, <clears throat> and he believes in the baptismal power of the Holy Spirit, and he's out laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, people are getting healed of palsy, and all kinds of things. A man full of the Holy Ghost and power, just a plain old guy, Stephen. And then one day, this big religious rulers corner him and he tells them all about Jesus and I mean is he talking he's telling them what the Old Testament said and boy when he gets down to a certain point they don't want to hear it no more they start screaming they put their ears over their their hands over their ears and everything else and he just tells them just exactly like it is in the name of Jesus and then they're going to kill him so they pick up their rocks and they start to stone him and then he looks up, and he said, I see heaven opened, and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. For when I got revelation, I thought, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But because one of his sons was doing exactly what he wanted him to do, he knew they were fixing to kill him. But Jesus got up off of his throne and stood. Wow. <laughs> to watch his son come into can you think of an honor like that for the king of the universe to stand for you to enter into the kingdom of God in heaven I mean I can't even imagine the president of the United States were to stand if I walked in that would be beyond my wildest imagination but to do something that the king of the universe would stand for your entry that's kind of awesome isn't it wow but to get that to happen, although those people are killing him, stoning him, I mean, most of us would be screaming, God, where are you? What's wrong with this? Don't you see what these dummies are doing to me? They're trying to kill me. And Stephen said, Lord, hold not this against them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen. Seemed to me like he was using the example of somebody else that died on the cross for us shortly before that, wasn't it? It's kind of hard for you and me to walk there, isn't it? But if we do, and they do kill you, you'll be to his praise and glory. And he will stand when you come in. It's amazing, isn't it? The battle we're fighting. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. If you're trusted in Christ, be to the praise and glory of the Father. Be to the praise and glory of Jesus. Walk holy before him. Do things that glorify his name. Go places that will bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Don't be caught in your company lying, stealing, cheating, or whatever. And don't be confessing you're a Christian and then do something wrong. Don't be a Christian and be slothful. Don't be a Christian and be one of the guys that's late to work every morning or one or tw once or twice a week or wants to take off early every time. Do everything you do as unto the Lord. Be the best there is. So they say, what is wrong with this guy? He's the hardest working guy. What's wrong with this woman? She's the hardest working woman i ever seen. She's here early every morning. She stays here full time and she's always happy. And what is wrong with you, man? 
oh, it's all because I'm wor- I don't work for y'all. I work for Jesus. I'm a daughter of the king of the universe. And I'm working as unto him. So if I make him happy, I don't have any problem making y'all happy. That's the way we ought to do business as Christians. He should be our example. And when we do things, there should never be no grumbling and complaining. Now, if you grumble and complain, it will bring a demon to your house, to your body. I think about the one precious little lady that was sitting right over here. Here a while back, I talked about this, about do all things without grumbling and complaining. And she may be here today, I don't know. But when I said if you grumble and complain, like Philippians 2, 4 says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. How much? All. All, all things without grumbling and complaining. I said because if you don't do what God says, it, it, it'll, after a little while of grumbling and complaining, it'll open the door and it'll call a demon into your house and that demon will come in and put kind of pain or sickness or disease on you. And she was sitting right back there and she said, oh my goodness, she's thinking to herself, that's what's wrong with me. For two weeks, all I did at work was grumble and complain. And then she said, this crick come in my neck. And then I got to grumbling about the neck. And she said, every day it got worse and worse and worse. And she's sitting right back there and she said, Lord, that's what done it. I've been doing nothing but grumbling and complaining for a month. She said, Lord, I repent. And immediately, sitting right there, her neck got well. <laughs> and at the end of the service, I said, okay, the service over. She held her and Mr. Scribner, can I give a testimony? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, if I don't get to give this testimony, I'm going to bust. <laughs> that was her exact words. Some of you was here to remember that. I said, what happened? She said, I had this uh, problem. I've been grumbling and complaining. And she said, for two weeks I did it. And then my neck started hurting. And I grumbled and complained for the last two weeks about that. I had no idea that I'm not supposed to do that until you taught on that. And she said, when you did, I said, that's my problem. said, Lord, just whispering. said, Lord, I repent. And nobody had to pray for her. She just got healed just like that. Is the king merciful when we repent? There's a good message there. Good message there. When he said, do all things without grumbling or complaining, he meant that, didn't he? Yes. yes, he did. He did that. Now then, if we, in verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, as long as we do things that's according to his word and walk in love to him and all people, we are to his praise and glory. And that's what we should be as children of God. Because we're his children. You know what? You know how you love it when your children do good things? I mean, there's not a mother or a good daddy alive that can't talk about their children when they're doing everything right. Now, when they're doing everything wrong, you don't really want everybody to know what they're doing. Because they're definitely not to your praise and glory. If you've got a son or a daughter and they're doing everything in the world wrong, you really don't want to go out and tell everybody all the bad things they're doing. But, uh, but if they're doing lots of good things, man... You know, I mean, i never seen many people that uh, don't want to talk about their children when they're doing everything right. Let me tell you about my daughter. She's the most beautiful, precious thing. Wow. Let me tell you about my son. Wow, let me tell you what he done. So that's the way we should be. Jesus should be proud of us as his children. So, and it says, and then in verse 19... In Ephesians 1.19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? 
Think about that. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? Now, first of all, that exceeding great power, where is that today? It's in us. Because this is a mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. In Colossians 1, 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's in you. And when you learn his promises, those promises will be released by your confession of the word of God. That's how you release this power that's in you. And boy, when I learned that, what I saw the Lord do. In fact, I was talking to a young man the other day. He works in computers. And he said, you know, I have had to try to debug certain programs in computers many times or whatever. And I couldn't, had worked sometimes days trying to get these things done. And he said, I heard you talk about you prayed over everything and how God gave you the revelation. So he said, one day after I heard you teach on that, I was at my workplace. And he said, I was having serious problems. And I'd been working on a problem for a while. And then I thought, you know, I haven't prayed. So he said, Father, in Jesus' name, quoted a verse in God's word, ask him, according to that promise, to help him find the problem with a computer. And he said, it was only a few minutes till I found the problem and was able to fix it. Isn't it amazing what we can do when we ask God? So don't go, it's just like a young man. I think about a young man that used to work for me when I was back in the workforce. And I led the man to Jesus. Uh, he was a middle-aged man, but he didn't know anything about Jesus until I come there. And, of course, I talk about Jesus. Well, I got this boy saved, and, and he had been living with a woman out of wedlock. And, of course, he repented for that and married her and did everything right. And then one day I told him, I said, we have angels to help us. And I said, this is part of this great power that we have and these angels. And so he had been out trying, he had a very high performance car. He loved fast cars. He had one of these really beautiful, high performance, brand new cars. And you can't, with all the junk that was in that thing, you couldn't hardly see the spark plug. Most of them you couldn't see. And he took it down, it had, I don't know, 20, 30,000 miles on it. It really didn't need a set of spark plugs, but he wanted a new set put in it. So he went down to the dealer and they said, well, they only charge $250 labor to put in those eight spark plugs. Only 250 bucks labor. Give you a little idea that it's not exactly a piece of cake to do this. He said, gee, for $250, I'll do it myself. So he goes out there and finally he gets them all out. The one up in near the front, he had to pull the air conditioning compressor, the alternator, I don't know what all, to get that plug out. And still, he said, you couldn't hardly see it. And then he couldn't get that one back in. He worked all afternoon long, and he could not get that plug in. So the next morning at work, he was telling one of the truck mechanics there about the problem. The guy said, ah, you just don't know what you're doing. I'll go out there and put it right in for you. So he went out there to his house, and he worked four hours trying to put it in, and he couldn't put it in. <laughs> So the next day, another one come out there and worked four hours, and he couldn't put it in. Now then, this $250 is getting a little smaller, you know. Yeah. They didn't realize. So finally, he says, you know, Thurman says, pray. So he said, right there in front of my neighbors and everything, I knelt in front of my car, held up my hands and said, Father, send me an angel to help me put this spark plug in this car. Lord, you told me to ask anything, and you will do it. So, Father, thank you in Jesus' name. He said, I got up. Said some of the, There's two or three neighbors watching over here, and they thought, what is wrong with this guy? He said, 
I got up, put that park plug in that socket, stuck it over in there, started screwing it. He said, Thurman, in five seconds, that park plug was to the bottom. Totally in. Does it pay good dividends to pray? I'm telling you. When you realize, when the Lord told us, pray over everything. Now, I can just see the king sitting there, or his angel sitting there saying, you know, if you would ask, I would do something to help you. But, you know, we're dummies. We're going to do it myself. Even if it kills me, I'm going to do it myself. I know none of you men ever done anything like that besides me. You know, but I've learned now to pray. It makes a big difference. Of course, I learned that years ago. Pray and ask God, and he will do these great and wonderful things for you. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? Now, see, we fail to realize what he's saying here. We, the, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to Lord, us who believe. Are you a believer in Jesus? Then this power is available to you. According to the working of his mighty power. Well, now, if his mighty power, and not your mighty power, then what can the king do? Does he have any limitations? None whatsoever. So we need to learn to call on him in faith. When you call on him in faith, he will do great and wonderful things for you. Ephesians 2.6. Ephesians 2.6. This is a magnificent verse that when I got a hold of this, I thought, you know, this is one of those things that's too good to be true. But it's not. Ephesians 2.6 says, And he has raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Technically speaking, Right now, as a believer, where are you in the spirit realm? In the third heaven, in Christ, in heavenly places. That's almost more than you can comprehend, isn't it? That I'm already seated. I'm not going to be seated in the third heaven with him. I'm already seated in the spirit world, in the throne of grace, in the third heaven with him. So whenever I have a prayer that I need answered... If I'm an obedient son or daughter of God, then I can take Ephesians 6, I mean, not Ephesians, but Hebrews uh, 4.16, and I can come boldly into the throne of grace and ask the Father anything I want in the name of Jesus. And when I go in there in faith, what will he do for me? He'll do what he said. You can come in there and ask anything in the name of Jesus, and he'll do it for you. Amazing, isn't it? how we can get these things done. He has made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God. There's not anything you can do except believe to receive your salvation. Believe and confess. Confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus paid the price for you and you are born again. You cannot do one single work to improve on salvation. Now, you can do a lot of good works after that and build your rewards in heaven. But to get saved, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. He paid the total price. All you've got to do is believe. I mean, he made that so simple that a four-year-old child 
can understand that. And yet that devil has deceived most of the world today. And to think right now today that by far the majority of the world today does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And what a shame. And the reason that they don't know him is because us, the church, are not walking in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You walk in a demonstration of the Spirit's power, you're going to change people. You walk holy before God and you walk in faith according to this gospel. The one that Paul wrote, Jesus inspired him by the Holy Spirit. You walk in this, you're going to see God do signs and miracles and wonders. I mean, I've seen them by the thousands. Not just a few dozen. I mean, at first when I saw a few, one or two, I thought this is awesome to see God answer my prayer. And then when I saw half a dozen in one year, I said, it can't get no better than this. But now sometimes I see a half a dozen in one day. In fact, I don't know. Here a while back, I had such a great day over here at Gateway Church, over here in South Lake. I went over there and spoke for two hours and 20 minutes from about, well, I guess actually I didn't start teaching until about, I don't know, 10 o'clock, I guess, or whatever it was. 10 till, till 12.20. I know I finished at 12.20. Hour and a half or two hours. I think there was some music at first. So maybe I spoke two hours. I don't know. But at the end of that two hours, I invited anybody in a group of 1,500 people that wanted to come up for prayer for me to pray for them after they heard me teach God's Word. And my prayer line lasted from 12.20 till midnight. And then the next day from 2 p.m. till 6. And I saw God do awesome miracles. How many of you ever had a prayer line? I thought when I spoke down at Big Sandy and I prayed for people for five solid hours. James stood right beside me for five hours, me and him there, and I prayed for people. I thought that was a long time to pray for people. But that day, at 12.20, I started praying for people. And I finished. I didn't finish. They closed the doors of the church and made us go home at midnight. And the people that was there left said, we want to put our name on the list. I said, put everybody's name in the order they're in so they can start over. I said, tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock, I'll be right back up here. And I got there and took me from 2 till 6 to pray for the last person. 16 hours of praying for people. And if they only knew what I know, they would none of them had to have been there. Isn't that amazing? But yet I got to see God do awesome miracles and healings and every deliverances out of that massive group of people. Isn't it amazing? I have no idea. I even had another lady come to me and said, by the way, my friend that was over gave me said to tell you she had diabetes and she's completely healed when you prayed for her. I have no idea what God did. I'm not the healer. He is. But he honors our prayers of faith. Now then when you get to the point where you understand and know the Word of God, you won't have to come to get somebody to pray for you. You can, by faith, get it done yourself. That's what makes it so wonderful. Then whenever the devil comes upon you to beat up on you, you don't have to find the pastor. You can just take the Word, because Jesus is with you all the time. You can get it done. Makes it nice. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are the workmanship created in Christ, in Christ Jesus, unto good works. Now, you're supposed to produce good works. When you get saved, if you're not out there doing something good for Jesus, you're not doing what the Word of God says. And then you want to know why your prayers are not answered? Because you're a disobedient child. 
I might say, how many people in here, I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand up because you might be like I was the first 25 years as a Christian. First 25 years as a Christian, somebody, and I, already, I am already a deacon and a Sunday school teacher. Somebody said, how many people you led to Jesus this last month? Or you could have said, how many people you led to Jesus since you got saved 25 years ago? And you know how many I would have said? Zero. I wasn't doing what God told me to do. You know what the last command of the king was when he got ready to go back to heaven? Go into all the world, preach his gospel. Go. Go preach, teach my word. Yes. Tell them about me. He said, tell them if they'll believe and confess with their mouth, they'll be saved. If they want to, they're going to be condemned to hell. Tell them that. Woo. Well, I didn't have enough knowledge. And then he made another statement after that that just blew me away. He said, and if you'll believe, you go in and you cast out devils too. He said, not only can you cast out devils, he said, you'll be able to speak with new tongues. He said, you'll be able to handle the devil with your hands and he can't hurt you. He said, if you drink anything deadly, it won't hurt you at all. He said, and you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall get well. I sure didn't believe that. Woo! I didn't believe that. One day a guy in a Baptist church come after I'd learned these things, started doing this. I come out of a Bible study class one morning. I'd been teaching, and a guy walked by the door, and they Thurman, come in here. Okay, so I walked in, a group of men's class. And I said, what can I do for you gentlemen? He said, why is it when you lay hands on the sick, they get healed? I said, well, when's the last time you ever laid hands on somebody and expected them to get healed? He said, well, I ain't never done that. I said, well, when I lived where you did, I didn't get to see nobody get healed either. But I said, when I started doing something in faith, I started seeing the king do wonderful things because he's a faith God. I said, you start doing something in faith, studying this word, you're going to start seeing the king do wonderful things for you too. He said, these signs shall follow those that believe. And unfortunate, there's too many people in the church today that's unbelieving believers. Now, if people says the miracles of God went away with the apostles, I'm going to tell you, I don't know how in the world I let the devil deceive me with Mark 16, 17, and 18 for so many years. I don't understand how he could do that to me. I just, now I look at that and I think, Lord, that is so clear. But yet last week, last week I went over and uh, taught at a men's breakfast. And one of the men called me. Actually, no, that one talked to me, I believe. And he asked me if I knew a certain seminary professor by the name of so-and-so. And I said, no, sir, I don't know him. He said, well, he taught down here in Dallas Theological for 15 years. And he said, uh, one day he and I were sitting at, I think at dinner, maybe one of those breakfasts or something together. And he said, I said, you know, what do you think? He said, I know you teach the book of Mark all the time. Oh, yeah, he said, I've been teaching that for years. One of my favorite books. He said, what do you think about Mark 16, 17, and 18? He said, well, what does it say? <laughs> You'd think 15 years of teaching, you had the whole book memorized, right? He said, well, it says that these signs shall follow those that believe. We can cast out devils. He said, what? He said, you don't remember that? He said, no. He said, I opened my Bible and showed it to this doctor of theology who had been teaching the book of Mark for 15 years, and he had never had revelation on those two verses. He didn't know they was in there. And I thought, how does the devil do that to us? That's got to be the devil. He did it to me, though, longer than that. But I, I wasn't teaching it, you know, but at least I couldn't. I just had no revelation on some of these things. We underestimate the ability of the devil to blind our minds to the Word of God. That's why the Lord told us to study this book. 
When you start studying this book, like I used to study those aircraft engineering manuals to teach those airplanes, because I knew, I knew that when I stood up in that classroom to teach that airplane, or when I was in that simulator with those guys, or if I was in that airplane flying with those guys, whenever they ask a question, I had to have the answer. I couldn't know just part of the systems in that airplane. I had to know them all. I had to know them precisely. So let me tell you, the Word of God, you need to hide it in your heart. If you don't have it hidden in your heart, you're going to be a pushover to the devil. Yeah. In other words, if I walked up in that airplane and I said, you know what that EPR gauge is right there? And he says, well, no, I have no idea what EPR stands for. And I begin to explain to you what it was. And I says, you know, that's supposed to be a certain pressure. And they said, okay. And I said, this is what it's supposed to read. And I tell you. And so we get out there, and what I told you was a lie. And we get out there, and they crank the engine up. It don't even come close to where it's supposed to. And you say, hey, there's something wrong with that engine. That's something wrong. That's not, that man told me it's supposed to read right here, and it's not reading there. So you better shut that engine down. There was nothing wrong with that engine. It was perfect. I lied to you. You get in the picture? What if, somebody, what if you don't know the word? The devil will come to you just like he did Eve in the garden. He says, God really said you're not supposed to eat of any of the fruit of the trees of the garden? He's sly, isn't he? And he's very slick. And he knows the word. He knows it and he knows it well. He's had thousands of years to learn it. So today, you and I as Christians, we better get a hold of these promises and learn who we are. Because I'm going to tell you, in these last days, that devil's going to raise his ugly head with a, a, an ugliness beyond anything you've seen. And all the Christians that don't know the Word of God will die prematurely. He will take you out. He will bring you into suffering and pain. Because you don't know how to fight this battle. Say, well, God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of you when you learn the word and stand on the word. He's given you the word. He's given you and me the power to overcome the enemy on earth. And it's his word. With that word, we can do great and wonderful things. Now then. Let's go to Ephesians 3. Verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promises in Christ by the gospel. That the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Hey, that's you and me. That's right, brother. I'm a Gentile. You're a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. If you're a Jew, then you're a Jew. And I hope you are a Christian Jew. And if you're not a Christian Jew, you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior because nobody today under this dispensation is going to heaven, Jew or Gentile, without the blood of Jesus. Everybody has to believe in Jesus. There's no difference between any of us. He says here that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, which is Christ's body, and partakers of his promises in Christ by the gospel. Partakers of his promises? Well, what are they? 
Do you know any of the great and precious promises that, when you, that become yours when you become a member of the body of Christ? You know some of them. If you don't know them, somebody will say, Oh, I'm sick and afflicted, and I sure would like for Jesus to heal me, and I hope he'll heal me. When you say that, they tell me you don't know nothing about healing. That's where I was most of my life. But when I learned through these great and precious promises that are always yes and amen. Isn't that awesome? Yes. yes and amen. All the promises of God are yes and amen to all of the obedient children of God. What did he say, Matthew 18, 19? What does he say two of us can agree on and, and get? Anything. anything on earth to agree on earth as touching anything it shall be done for you by my father which is in heaven I could not tell you the number of prayers requests I've seen answered when I call the king in remembrance of that promise isn't it amazing I mean I could just name them all day and some of you in here could do the same thing there were partakers of his promises these promises are so awesome and most people are like I was in the church. They don't know the promises. Say, well, I'll tell you what. I want you to write down at least four chapters and books of verses, just four verses that has promises that God has given to you that you can stand on. Well, some people can do that. And then you have somebody come in. You say, where have you been? So I've been to Bible study. I said, you know any promises of God? Yep, I know a couple. Okay. Does God answer prayer every time? Well, no. Sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says maybe or whatever. But no, he don't say yes every time to his promises. God couldn't say yes to his promises every time. Oh, well, I was taught that, but that's not according to the word of God. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that all the promises of God in Him are yea and amen. Isn't that amazing? That's where you got to know the Word. If you don't, the devil will steal these things from you. Now, if we're in these promises in Christ, then verse 11 says, according to the eternal purpose, which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And verse 12 says, in whom we have boldness. Now, see, boldness. Don't forget, you have boldness. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now then, that's why a man, what would you do? I have never done this, and I'd, I'd hate to think that the Lord would move on my heart to do something like this. But this did happen to a faith minister one time. Man's up on a platform about three feet off the floor. The people are standing out in front. Hundreds of them. Somebody brought a little handicapped baby up to him and he says what do you think about this child little baby little baby wasn't very big at all six eight months old and he took that little baby and he held him out like this and he dropped him and when he turned him loose he kicked him and when he kicked him everybody did exactly what some of y'all said oh, oh my goodness I just said it some of y'all did that and he kicked him right into the arms of a person and somebody screamed at what you fool I thought you was a man of God what are you doing you killed that baby he said you look at that baby and they looked at the baby and said he's normal he said yes I just kicked the devil out of him 
And that child was instantly healed. Wow. Instantly healed. That's just like with bowling. That's just like the other day. A man, I mean, I've had this happen many times in my life. I have jumped up and hit somebody in the chest after I built their faith three or four or five hours. I've jumped up and hit them and screamed, come out of them, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, and seen them instantly healed of cancer. I reached up and grabbed, in fact, I'll tell this story because Don's here today. Don Busby sitting right back there. He went with me over to uh, Arlington to a pastor's conference one day. And I was getting ready. I walked up and a man sitting at the bottom of the stairs. And I said, what's wrong with you? You got carpal tunnel? He said, yes. Had these big old things on his wrist. I said, can you make a fist? He said, no. I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, do you want to be healed? He said, well, of course. I said, well, them just demons. I'll cast them out of you. I walked up and I put my hands on Don and said, can I lay hands on him with you? I said, are you ready? Now, he's in the assembly of God. And he hesitated just one second. And then he said, yes. That's all it took was that slight hesitation instead of the boldness that Jesus tells us to do. And so we cast the devil out of him, and the man was instantly healed. I mean, the corporal turned left. The guy could make a tight fist. The demons left. That night, Don, go, we go to the pastor's conference. Don was there all day. No problem. He gets home about 1 o'clock or 1.30 in the morning. He wakes up with excruciating pain in his wrist. That demon went from that guy to Don. And it took him till that night to wake him up. And, I, and he sat there for about 30 minutes saying, what is wrong with my hands? And it took about 30 minutes for the Holy Ghost to get through. How many of you all know that... 30 minutes is not too bad. It took him a lot longer than that, a lot of time with me to get through. Sometimes he never did get through, but it took him about a half hour to get through to Don that this was a demon. And when Don really realized that and took the authority and commanded that demon to leave, that thing left him and he ain't had a pain in his wrist since. That right, Don? That's what happened. He's here to confirm what I've told you. I'm going to tell you, when you do what we do in the spirit world, you better make sure you understand what this means when you said we have confidence with boldness yeah. to do what we do. That's right. You can't flippantly do these things. Don's a great man of God. I mean, he studies the Word of God. He knows the Word of God. But he hesitated just a little bit in the laying on of hands. And that demon said, there's a little bit of doubt in him. Weakness. A little bit of weakness. But let me tell you, after he kicked that devil out, you, uh, the devil's in trouble now because it raised his boldness up yonder. You don't do that no more, do you, Don? No, sir. He learned the hard way. You know, how do we come? Well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, mate, hey, this guy's got a demon, you say? Well, I don't know about this. Let me, let me lay hands on him with you and let's see what's going to happen. You better get out of there. That's all I got to say. You better leave because... If when you start casting out demons, you better be prayed up and confessed up because when that demon comes out of one, he's going into somebody else where he's got an open door. And he's going to, I mean, it's, we have seen it where a demon leave one person go right into another one, right in the same service. So these things are real and they'll do this. So you need to be prayed up, confessed up, walking holy before God. And we, the church, in these last days, need to learn to walk in boldness. That's what the king said, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Seemed like I just read that. Boldness. That's the way we need to do it. His way. Yeah. Not our way. 
in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. I can just see Peter that day when he walked up to the temple and that old boy sitting there and said, you know, alms, alms. I can just see P Peter said, well, you know, I really don't have any money. But what I have, I might give it to you. You know, I don't, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure what God will do. But if it's his will, uh, uh, in the name of Jesus, why don't you get up and walk? Is that what he did? No. No. I mean, Peter knew who he was. He knew these things. That man said, arms on. Peter said, I don't have no money. Well, what I got, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Yes. And that guy looked up at him. He reached out and got that hand. He said, I said, get up and walk. And he jerked that devil plumb out of him. When he jerked him up, the guy jumped up and he said he jumped up, leaped up, running and jumping and running up and down the steps of the temple, praising God. Yeah. How did he do that? With boldness and with confidence in Jesus that Jesus had paid the price to defeat the devil. That's what you have to come against the devil with, with boldness and with confidence that when you come, you know that you're in Christ and all the promises of God are yes and amen. And he sent you as his representative to get people's sins repented of, to get them saved and healed and delivered. He didn't send you out here to be some flippant nobody. You're a child of the king of the universe. A child of God, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. When you woke up this morning, the first thing you should have done after you praised him a few minutes, say, Lord, my tank's a little low. I need to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Ghost and power today. Yes. So you, and let me die. Let this flesh die so I can get out of the way so you can do something today. Yes. Let me die to self and live unto you so you can go do something because Christ in me, the hope of glory. And all you got to do is die and get out of the way and let him do something. He'll do something, won't he? he? And then that's when you have that boldness, that boldness to cast out them demons and to heal the sick and to get people saved. You ask now then, how long has it been since I got somebody saved? Not very long. How long has it been since I got somebody healed? Not very long. How long has it been since you cast out a demon? Not very long. I don't even remember them. There's so many. You know, it happens on a day-by-day -day basis now. That's the way it should be with you. When you start walking this kind of boldness and this kind of anointing, everybody around you says, wow, you need to go see that guy or that guy or that girl. You need to go see them. I was over there, and they got me healed. They led me to Jesus, changed my life forever. Wow, that's how we need to be known as Christians. When you do some things in boldness, you will change somebody's life. Be like that lady that was over there at the Andrew Womack meeting here a while back. I went to that meeting. I was over there listening to Andrew. He's a great man of God. So whenever the time come for prayer, there was all kinds of people went down the front. And I thought, you know, I'll go down there and pray for some. I mean, I'm sure he needs all the prayer warriors he can get. So I get up and I go down and I walk down and all of a sudden there's a woman standing there. She's, oh, Thurman Scrivener. I said, how are you doing, young lady? She said, do you still believe everything's a demon? I said, yes, ma'am, I haven't changed. She said, I got a bone spur in my foot, and I'm telling you, I need to be prayed for, but that's not a demon. I said, ma'am, you want to be healed? She said, look, I, 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 yes, I want to be healed, but she said, that's not a demon. I said, I'm going to tell you that's a demon. She said, that's not a demon. I just reached up and grabbed that woman and shook her, and I said, come out of her, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. I said, now then take your foot off, your shoe off. You don't have no pain in your heel. She said, Thurman, that wasn't a demon. She said, she, she said, my foot don't hurt. I said, take your foot off, take your shoe off your foot, put your foot on the floor and stop it. 
She said, well, I got a pad in my shoe because it hurt so bad. But she said, it don't hurt now. She took her shoe off and put it on the floor. She said, it don't hurt. I said, I told you it was a demon. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Now, from a doctor's standpoint, that don't make no sense at all, does it? But when that demon leaves... The problem leaves. I mean, you know, it doesn't make any sense that a woman can come in like this for 18 years. In Luke 13, 11, and Jesus said, woman, you are loosed from your spirit of infirmity. And immediately she stood up and was loosed. What had bound her over all them years? A demon. What is our problem? Demons. How much power do we have over demons? All power. All power. Don't you think it's time we start acting like that as a church? Now, you can't live out there in the devil's world in sin and have power over the devil. Just like driving down the road at 80 miles an hour when the speed limit's 60. In fact, I got stopped this weekend myself. First time I've been stopped in a long time. I left the ministry center going to Home Depot to pick up some stuff. And I was watching everything perfect. I come across up there at Argyle at 407 and 377. I come to the light. The light was green. I came through the light, turned right, give a signal. And I hadn't hardly got around the corner when a police officer turned his, pulled in right behind me, started flashing his lights. So I thought, I wonder what he wants. I knew I wasn't doing nothing wrong. But I pulled off to the side, and he pulled right behind me. I reached over and got my insurance card, got my driver's license out of my billfold, and I had him waiting for him when he got there. He took him out and looked at him, and he said, uh, have you had a ticket lately? I said, I hadn't had a ticket in 50 years. I got smart a long time ago. <laughs> he said, well, just a minute. He run back there, and then about 10 minutes running the research on me, and he come back, and he said, you're right. You've had no record of no kind. I said, now then that you've told me all that, could I ask you why you stopped me? He said, your right brake light is not working. <laughs> I said, okay, I will get it fixed. That night, Cheryl followed me over here, and when we got it, she said, do you know your right brake light don't work? I said, I didn't until this morning, but I do know it now. So she told me, so last night we left the healing school, we go by Walmart at 12.30 or 1 o'clock this morning, and I go in and buy me a bub and go out there and pull the light out of my car and plug it in and fix it, and then we go on. You know, so I got it fixed. Now then, that police officer had to have a reason to stop me. Right. A, a, val a valid reason. He cannot stop you without cause. But does the law say all your lights are supposed to work on your car? Yeah, they're supposed to. Did he give me a ticket for that? No, because he knows most of us don't know if our brake lights are working or not. It's kind of hard to step on the brake and run around the back and see if they're working. You nearly got to have somebody to tell you, right? But when he told me, I know it's not working, so I got a new one. Now, when I put the new bub in, I had Cheryl standing at the back, and I stepped on the brake. She said, both of them's working. Because it could have been something else, but chances are it was just the bub. And sure enough, that's what it was. But I wanted to be sure that I had fixed the problem. Now then, if I were to go back through there and that same bub was burned out again, and he said, that you never did get that light fixed. I said, oh, yes, I did. I put a brand new bub in it, and my wife verified it. But it could burn out again, couldn't it? You never know about electronic equipment when it's going to burn out. But you have to check. 
And that's what you need to do with the Word of God. You need to make sure that you give that devil no legal claim to you. Because if you sin, you have fell from grace and transgressed the law of God and given the devil legal right to run. And I'm going to guarantee you, when Paul says in Ephesians 6, 16, put on all the armor of God. And it will protect you from the flaming darts of the devil. You better keep that armor on 24-7 because if you let a brake light burn out, which in the, spirit, in the physical world is the same thing as telling a lie in the spirit world. When you tell a lie in the spirit world, your armor has got a crack in it. And that flaming dart will come through there. When the flaming dart comes through, you can put pain and symptoms and sickness and disease upon you. Until you sin, the devil has no legal claim to you. But you need to walk holy before God. When you do, then you can have this boldness to do this. Then in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. What kind of a mind did he have? What was his mindset? How much sin did Christ have in him? None. So what should be your mindset about sin? No sin. Did he walk in love? What should be your mindset about love? Walk in love. love. Yeah, God is love. All these things, like Christ thought, that mind should be in you. The mind of Christ should be in us. And he had no limitations of what he could do. He knew no limitations, and he did everything in prayer to his Father. And then he come and told you and me, anything we ask the Father in the name of Jesus, he will do. Now, what kind of limitations did he give you? None. You could ask for anything. You can ask for things about your business, about your work, about protection, going to work and back in the daytime, asking everything. I don't do anything without prayer, with thanksgiving. I don't ever ask God for something without thanking him, because if you ask for something and don't thank him for it, he won't do it for you. Chances are he won't. He loves for you to praise him and thank him. That's why when we pray, we always thank him for these things. I love it when God does those kind of wonderful things. And just like uh, Juanita back there, she was up here a while ago telling me, she said the other day, the other day she came up and we prayed she had a cataract, or cataracts on her eyes. And we prayed and uh, the Lord took those cataracts off just almost immediately. Made her eyes better, and she could see better both close and far everything. He did a wonderful thing for her. So she came up the next Sunday and said, I've got a knot on my back. Would you pray about that? And we prayed about that. And she came up all ago and told me the knot's gone. I mean, what did Jesus say we could pray about? I'm telling you, we prayed and rebuked that devil and thanked him. And, and he, he gave us our answer. You know how nice it is when you can pray over something like that and God hears your prayer? You know, talking about Dallas Theological <clears throat> a while ago, I mean, in what they teach, I have had men that go to there that have had their either wife or children or whatever come out here and get healed. And that creates a problem for Dallas Theological. <laughs> you know, when you got a man down there that his wife or his daughter or his son came out here and we prayed for them and God healed them, that's kind of puts us between a rock and a hard spot. You reckon the king's trying to get our attention? I think he is. I'm glad he's so merciful to us, you know, as hard-headed as we are. I'm so grateful that the king is so merciful. But in, in uh, Philippians 3.3, 3, 
For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We worship Him in the Spirit and have no confidence in the flesh. So when the flesh says, I'm hurting, I've got a pain, you have no confidence in that. Now then, it's unfortunate most Christians don't believe that. Most Christians have a lot of confidence in the flesh. I mean, when your flesh starts hurting, or you get a pain or a suffering, instead of coming to God and asking Him to do something to heal you and believing it's done like His promises say, you come in here and you ask me to pray for you, and I've had a lot of people tell me, well, we're going to find out if your prayer works, because I got an appointment with the doctor Thursday to have surgery. Forget it, you might as well have not come. You might as well have not, you didn't believe God. You didn't believe him anyway. When you come down here, he clearly says in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, when you ask me for something, God, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. How much can waver? Nothing. He said, if you waver, he said, you're double-minded. You're unstable in all your ways. And he said, let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. So when you come for prayer... You say, Lord, I've got all my sins repented of. I accept it. It's done. We prayed. Juanita, for instance, give her an example. Uh, Juanita, your knot's gone. All you got to do is believe God and thank Him and praise Him. Thank Him and praise Him and worship God and come back the next Sunday and say, it ain't there no more. Or, you know, it's amazing how we need to believe God. I mean, but after all, He's only God. He can't do very much, can He? That's the way we look at it sometimes, isn't it, brother? Well, I'm not sure what God can do. Maybe he can do that. Maybe he can't. So I better go to a doctor just to make sure. Because my flesh sure is hurting. Oh, I have no confidence in the flesh. I wake up this morning. I'm just like I did a few. In fact, it was last month at the Dallas Healing School. I told a story about how I'd overcome the devil with a back problem. How I beat him at that. And the very next morning. I mean, after that Dallas Eden School a month ago, I woke up the next morning, Sunday morning, and I went to get out of bed, and it's, oh, my goodness, my back. I, it was awful. I said, oh, you devil of hell, you're back again. I said, I, you beast. I mean, I mean, here he's an opportunity. He said, well, I just thought I'd pass by your house to see if you still believe the word. Because if you got confidence in the flesh, when you wake up and start stepping out of that bed, you can't be, oh, 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 goodness. And you walk in to say, I'm going to brush my teeth this morning. And say, oh, we can't do that. Let's do it this way. You got confidence in the flesh. When your back, when your body is really hurting, it's in pain. It's not easy to have no confidence in the flesh, is it? When that burger's hurting. You want to have confidence in it. But that's when you can't have no confidence in the flesh. You got to have confidence in the word. Where Jesus said, I defeated the devil for you. I, I healed you. So you need to take the word and come against him. You take the word, you come against him, and you start fighting with the word. The sword of the spirit, which is coming out of your mouth. The word of God. You ain't got time to go look up all these promises. You reach in and you get that big old long sword and you pull that thing out. And you got a six foot long, gleaming, double edged sword. And when that devil sees that, he said, whoa, I'm out of here. <laughs> it don't take long. Just a few cuts with that double-edged sword, which is the word of God, which comes out of your mouth. And the devil leaves. He tried that every day for four or five days with me. And it'd take me to work from 20 minutes to an hour to get rid of him every day. 
I finally told him, it's either Thursday or Friday. I said, devil, when are you going to give up? Because I'm not giving up. And when I was bold like that, next morning I woke up, no back pain, ain't had none since. Does he show up every once in a while? Yeah. He'll show up. He's going to test you out. Now, don't be like the lady come up here one time. She said, I want a prayer of faith where I can, you can get rid of the devil for me where I will never have any problem with the devil. <laughs> I said, ma'am, you ain't going to like this prayer. She said, there is one? I said, oh, yeah, there is one. She said, I want it. I, I said, no, 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 you don't want me to pray this prayer. She said, yes, if there is a prayer, I can get rid of the devil where he won't ever bother me again. I want that prayer prayed. I said, okay. Read something like I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, kill her right now and take her home. She said, no, I don't want to die. I said, no, that's the only way. I told you you wasn't going to like this prayer. She said, no, no, I don't want to die yet. I said, okay, just read the word and learn how to overcome him. He's going to come back. I said, if he come back to Jesus, he's going to come back to you, right? See? He's out there in the wilderness. He told Jesus. He said, I mean, he saw Jesus baptized, Craig. He knew who he was. And he walked right up to him and he said, if you really are the son of God. He knew he was the son of God. He was trying to put doubt in his mind. And he'll walk right up to you and he'll say, if you really are a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. He's good, isn't he? He's very good. Oh, if you really was a Christian and you believe these promises, you wouldn't have this. He said, devil, I'm kicking you out in the name of Jesus. When you stand on the word of God, how many times did he try Jesus? Three. How many times did Jesus come against him with the word? Three. And then guess what he did? The word of God says, and he left him till a more opportune time. To me, that means he's coming back. So if he's going to come back to Jesus, forget it. You know he's coming back to me in Utah. That's right. We don't have a chance, do we? But when he comes back, we got the word, right? When he comes back, we're going to kick him out just like we did the first time. You don't let the devil beat up on you. Now then he says, Colossians 1, 28. Colossians 1, 27, one of my favorite verses, but I won't read that one. Colossians 1 28 says whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus when we get the gospel in us how many people have I heard in fact I was listening to Christian television the other day on TBN and I don't know where this guy was I think it was in Florida but I'm not sure they had a sign up there that said something about Florida, but that doesn't mean that's where they were. He's walking around up there, and he said, you know, God understands that we're just flesh and blood. And he doesn't expect us to be perfect. Oh, yeah. And I had just been doing a series on learning about being perfect in Christ. And I thought to myself, this guy's not reading the same Bible I'm reading. <laughs> the Bible I read demands that we as Christians be perfect. Perfect. No sin. Walk holy before him. So he says in Colossians 1.28, Whom we preach, talking about Christ in us, the hope of glory, in the verse above that, Whom we preach, warning, warning every man. That's a warning to you. And teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we may present every man perfect 
in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I still got a little ways to go. But I, my goal is to be perfect, and I want you to be perfect in Christ. That's where we should be, right? That's where we should be. Then 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says, For the Lord himself, not some fly-by-night cowboy, but the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, if you have died on this earth and you was in Christ, when the king comes back in the clouds, he's going to speak, and the very first thing that's going to happen is those that have died in Christ is going to rise first, and then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up to be with the Lord. And I've heard this lots of times, and I'm sure you've had it, heard it too. Somebody said, well, why are the dead in Christ are going to rise first? And I heard a guy say one time, well, they have six foot four more to travel than we do. <laughs> We're standing on top of the earth, and they're going to be six foot in the earth. But let me tell you, I don't care how long you've been dead. I don't care the anointing. I think about in the Old Testament, one day there was one of the prophets died, and he had been laying there for years, nothing left but his bones in a cave. And they, uh, one of David's men, they got into a problem there. And one of their men got killed, and they took this man in the cave because they didn't want him to find it. And the other guys was chasing them, so they went in this cave. And when they threw the man in, they throwed him on Prophet Elijah's bones. And you know what happened to the guy? The guy jumped up alive. This anointing in him? You talk about anointing. That's what me and you need that kind of anointing, right, brother? That's what I want. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of anointing power in you? Think what you could do while you're alive with that kind of anointing power. If you can take and be dead for years, and you can take a dead man and he just fall on your bones, and the guy come back to life. Can you only imagine? I bet you them three guys went out there and whooped all them guys. I bet when they realized what, I bet they had no fear after that. I bet they run back out of that cave with their sword and said, let us at them guys. We're not afraid no more. They just seen one of the men had been killed, raised from the dead. Woo! Something in Christ. For the Lord himself. Wow, look for that day. I look for that day when he's coming. I can just hear him. Do you know what we're going to hear? We're going to hear him call every one of our names. Wow. He's going to say, Benjamin, come up here. Ty, come up here, son. Cheryl, come up here. Thurman, every one of us are going to hear him speak that at the same time. You're going to hear him call your name. When you hear that name, you're going to look up and bam, you're going to be gone in a heartbeat. Wow. We're going to be gone in a heartbeat. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, whatever you're doing... It's going to go undone from that point on. Because you ain't going to be there no more. He's going to come and catch you up in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. We don't do this very well. Think about what I'm going to tell you because it's written in the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks to God in a few things. Oh, did that, brother, is that not what I, did I read that wrong? Yeah. Oh, I read that wrong. Well, it, it, it made me read, oh, I, I, I must, have, must have missed, it must have said, in everything give thanks. Is that what it says? Yes. yes. What does that mean? 
So if in everything give thanks, why do we as Christians do so many things without giving thanks? Why? How many of you got up this morning and had a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a glass of milk or a glass of orange juice and didn't say thank you, Lord, for this? No, don't hold up your hand. <laughs> Some of you already hold up your hands. <laughs> I didn't ask you to confess your sin. God knows. But did, I mean, what did he say give thanks for? Everything. So when you got up this morning, you poured that glass of orange juice, what should have been the first thing you done? Thanked him for it, right? You went over to the faucet and, and drew you a glass of water and start to drink it. What's the first thing you should have done? Give thanks and ask the Lord to bless that. Either that or he, I read that wrong because mine says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. But Lord, it didn't go good. I didn't get things done just right this morning and I have a difficult time saying thank you for this problem I had this morning. You're going to have this problem a long time, right, Sarah? In all things, give thanks. In, all, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, this is the will of God in Christ. What is the will of God in Christ? Somebody says, I don't know what the will of God is. Next time somebody asks you, what is the will of God? Don't never let it be known that you don't know what at least one of the things is the will of God. If you're in Christ, somebody says, well, I don't know what his will is. Say, I know what it is. No, nobody can know what the will of God is. I guarantee I do. What is it? In everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. Because it's written right there in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. It's the will of God that I give thanks in everything. Somebody says, you can't know what the will of God is. Oh, yes, we can. We read his book and he'll tell us. And how many things give thanks? So now, next time somebody asks us, do you know what the will of God is? You say, I know some of the things that's the will of God. I know at least one of them guaranteed that the will of God, if I'm in Christ, is in everything I give thanks. I know that because it's written in the Word. It's in the Word. In everything. When you go out there to feed them old cows, you ought to be thanking God for them cows, right? Thanking Him for the feed that He's given you to feed them. Everything, right? Thank Him for that pickup you had to get in this morning to drive out there to feed them, right? That's right. Uh, you know, how many times we do, we go get in our car and start off, we drive somewhere and never say, Lord, thank you for this car. You know, I stopped by the other day and bought a new set of tires for mine, got out to the ministry center and had an appointment. Somebody said, Thurman, you ever thinking about retiring? I said, oh yeah, I did that this morning. <laughs> he said, what? I said, yeah, I retired this morning. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I stopped by and had new tires put on my car. <laughs> I said, I retired my car. That's the closest thing to retiring I'm ever going to get. There ain't no retirement program in the kingdom of God. That's right. wow. He said, occupy till I come. Yes. But I did retire my car. Sure did make it ride better, too. Them tires had about 50, 40, 50, 60, whatever thousand miles on them. They was getting a little bad. And I know Cheryl and I got to go down to uh, Louisiana. Uh, yeah, Louisiana this week, Pineville, Louisiana. And so my tires, I looked at them, and they were getting, you know, pretty well worn down. What hardly nothing left, especially the front one, just smooth almost. A little bit of tread left out there. Whoa, I ain't going to drive down to Louisiana in that car with those tires. So I stopped by and bought me four new ones. Praise the Lord. 
Got them, Uncle? Sure does ride nice and smooth, like a brand new one. Retired it, got in it, cranked it up, run so smooth. I thought, wow, thank you, Lord, for this new car. This thing runs beautiful. Wow. In everything, give thanks. And 1 Timothy 1.14, 1 Timothy 1.14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ Jesus, you should have exceeding abundant faith and love. You should have great faith as a child of God. We should start claiming that. You should start telling yourself every day. You wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you that I have the power to love everybody in me because I got the Holy Ghost in me. I can love even them that's unlovable. Thank you, Lord, that I have great faith because I know your word. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Nothing's impossible with me because it's written in the word of God. And I'm your child. Start confessing those things. When you start confessing those things out loud, out loud, your body will begin to believe that because it's God's Word. 2 Timothy 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promises of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, who has saved us, called us, and a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Verse 13 says hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. These are some of the things that if you're in Christ, our works, we should have good works. I mean, you should be doing good things, whatever you're doing. If God called you according to his purpose in you, if he called you to bake bread to take to the poor and the needy, you ought to bake the best bread and every loaf ought to be perfect in the name of Jesus. Therefore, my son, be strong and the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 10 says, Therefore I endure all things. We don't do that very well either. I endure all things. We think that reads, I endure a few things that are easy. And when I want to, right, Sarah? When I want to. But the word says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You start enduring all things in the power of the Word of God. You start walking in the gifts of the Spirit. You're going to see God do great and mighty things when you pray for people and people are going to know that you're empowered with the Holy Ghost and power. That's where you should be as a Christian. If God done all the wonderful things for me in the, in the workplace, I mean, I, it didn't matter what we did. If we were going to work on a machine, we had a prayer meeting over that machine. We were going to build a new room, we had a prayer meeting over that room. First thing I'd do is get my leads in my office and say, Lord, 
Father, in the name of Jesus, you said right here I can ask for anything. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to give me and these men the wisdom and knowledge and understanding we need to get this project done in record time, supernaturally, because we're your children. And I remember one of those leads out there, Dan Robertshaw, fantastic young man of God. First time I brought him as one of my, he was my chief lead. And he was, I, think, I forget now, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, or whatever he was. I forget. He didn't go to church much, but he didn't realize the power of God. And the first time I said, guys, come on in here. You all are my leads. We're going to open this morning with a prayer. He said, we're going to do what? I said, we're going to pray. So we come in that office, and he said, he, he said this many times. He said, at first, when Thurman would get us in his office, there's a big window, glass in his office. We'd be standing with our heads down. He'd be praying. He said, when I heard somebody come walking down the hall, he said, the hair on my neck would begin to stand up, and I'd just begin to blush and get red. Those people are going to see me in this office praying. What are they going to think about me? But let me tell you, when I left there, I'm telling you, them boys, him and Neil Wachowski, they could be out there having a project hard to get along with people everywhere. And Dan said, Neil, we hadn't prayed. Let's get out right there. Get out on our knees. Raise their hands and pray right there. And they could fix things. Unbelievable what those boys got done. Now, let me tell you, they, they finally learned who they were in Christ. And then one day when Dan walked in my office and I was talking to two gentlemen about uh, fixing a big piece of equipment for us, and we just finished it. I asked him if they were Christians, and they didn't know where to come from there. And all of a sudden, I said, you know, if you guys had professed Christ and do wonderful things, you'd get to see him do miracles. And they looked at each other and said, miracles? Dan walked in about that time. He said, yeah. I said, you guys don't ever see miracles? They said, I ain't never seen a miracle. Dan said, oh. He said, I never seen one either until he come here. So we see him every day now. <laughs> now, see, that's what we should be, right? And if you're not ashamed of Jesus... Jesus will do. If you're bold and have that confidence in who you are in Christ, when you pray, you expect things to happen, it's going to happen. But if you're kind of back off and say, hey guys, I, you know, let's get back here in a dark room somewhere where nobody will be able to see us and let's pray. Forget it. God's not going to show up for you. You've got to be a, proud of the king. Get out there and do something for Jesus. And, and 2 Timothy Second Tim now here's one that you really will enjoy this one. Second Timothy three twelve. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. <laughs> you know where I'm going there, don't you, Brittany? And oh and that is a case where he says in all. All that will. So get ready. You like that? You read that, brother? I like that. And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Somebody said, I ain't going there then. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, die and go to hell if you want to. Don't get no rewards when you get home. I'd a whole lot rather suffer the persecution on earth than not get no rewards when I get, to ho get home. Hadn't you? That's right. Yep. If, if you're not suffering some kind of persecution, you're not doing nothing for Jesus. That's right. That devil's not raised his ugly head against you. If you're living godly in Christ Jesus, there are people making fun of you, they're talking about you, they're doing all kinds of things. Holy girl! Look at that woman over there. She's a holy girl. She talks about Jesus. She don't go out and drink and raise hell like the rest of the women here. Goodness gracious. She's a Jesus freak. Yeah. 
What a way to be known. Praise God. Be known as a Jesus freak. And if you're known as a Jesus freak, that way one day, when somebody, just like that day, I walked in out there, and there's a little lady. I mean, people knew me like that. And I walked down the corridors, and a little Spanish lady come up to me, and she said, Sir, they tell me, you can tell me where to read in the Bible. I said, Yes, ma'am, I can. Now, see, why didn't somebody else tell her? They said, But he can. She said, I get off at 11 this morning. Can I come by your office? I said, I'll be there. 11 o'clock that morning comes Spanish lady. She walked in my office, and I said, well, let me show you where to read. And she had a Spanish Bible. I opened it up. And of course, I could read enough of the captions to know where I was. I said, let me turn it to Romans chapter 10, verse 8, 9, and 10, and I want you to read this and tell me if you've done that. And she read it, and she said, no, I've not done that. I said, so you're not a Christian yet. Well, no. But she said, I've seen you walking through here and you confess Jesus and you pray for people and miracles happen so I want to know this same Jesus and I said well this is how you accept him right here so the little girl I just reached up and laid my arm on her arm I said do this and I led her to Jesus right there in my office and what I didn't know she also had cancer and a week later she comes screaming in my office bust the door down didn't even knock Mr. Scribner, Neil told me if I'd come and let you pray for me, Jesus would heal me. I've been to the doctor this week, and my cancer is completely gone. Isn't that wonderful? See, you don't get things like that done being ashamed of Jesus. I mean, isn't it wonderful to see Jesus do these kind of things? Now, guess what? If he's no respect to persons, and he'll do these kind of things for me, what will he do for you? Same thing. He'll answer your prayer. He's a mighty God. But, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So get ready for it. It's coming. But it's a very small thing to have to suffer compared to the mighty answers to prayer you will get. It's a very tiny price to pay. Who cares what the world says about us? about Jesus. Let me tell you, when they see you walking in the anointing of God's power, walking holy, when the time comes in their life they get tired of the devil beating up on them, guess who they'll come to? They won't come to their drunken friends. They'll come to you. Because they know they ain't got the answer. But they know you have. Walk holy before God. And then this mighty promise of John 3.16. Verse 15 says that whosoever believeth in him, Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, Christ Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know every soul that's generated or created is going to have eternal life? Every human being that's made, that's ever been born, is never going to stop living 
But where are you going to spend eternity? Just think. Living forever would be great. Even on earth would be great if you could live in the abundant life of Christ all the time. But if you're suffering and pain and torment or, or you're in a fire, you put your hand in a fire or touch a skillet. You don't leave it there. I mean, the, the, the little things that are connected to your brain that go down to your finger, when you touch it, it's hot. It travels very rapidly to your brain to say, get your hand out of there. But can you imagine living in torment, not only for a hundred years, but for eternity? Think about that this week. That ought to be an inspiration to each one of us as sons and daughters of God to be willing to suffer the persecution that the world's going to put on us and to walk holy before God so we can get some saved. Because everybody that does not receive Jesus as Lord and Savior is going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. And they're never going to be consumed. Eternal suffering. Some of you are like me. You have suffered a little on this earth with physical sickness and disease, with pain. And there's anything on this earth I don't like. It's pain. And the second worst thing I don't like is more pain. Nobody likes pain, right? Nobody. But think, in eternity with Jesus, there will be no pain and no suffering. Just bliss. Beautiful flowers and trees and no pain, no suffering, no death. I mean, the abundant life for sure. But that's to all that will make Christ Jesus Lord of their life. But all that will not We'll have to spend eternity in a lake of fire. If you've got children, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, spouses that are not saved, goodness, don't take that laying down. You have power over the devil. Learn to catch yourself up into the throne of grace. Get a copy of our tape or our CD on how to get a lost person saved. Learn how to go to the throne of grace. Kick them devils out of them. And ask the Father in the name of Jesus to send the Holy Ghost and convict them of sin and bring them into the kingdom. You don't want nobody to spend eternity in a lake of fire. And they will unless you do that praying and that warfare. When you do that, you can overcome them. And we don't have long. We don't have long. I don't know how long, but it's not going to be very long. Jesus is coming again very soon. He could come this year or next year. Live today like today is going to be your last day. But plan today like you're going to be here for another 50 years. Don't back off and say, well, I was going to build a new building, but I ain't going to do it. Well, if Jesus is coming soon, I'm only going to buy just a few more tapes, make a few, and then I'm going to put them back in. I ain't going to put out no more. When it's over, it's over. No, when Jesus comes again, I'm going to have a stack of stuff out here, stacked of it in my media center, so that them that are left can come by and find it and listen to it and can accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm going to plan like we're going to be here a long time. But I'm going to live my life like today might be my last. Because you know that? You know that some people in the Dallas area today is going to be their last day. Many of them. 
You know, there's people right now laying in hospital rooms that are dying right now. I can assure you, somewhere in the Dallas Metroplex, while we've been in a service, there have probably been three or four or five people have deceased and went somewhere while you've been sitting here in this church service. And they went somewhere, either to hell or to heaven. So if you've got somebody that's lost, you don't give up easy. You do your warfare praying, you get them saved. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for the word. I want to thank you for these testimonies we've had today. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords and you're the God of gods. And we're your children. And you're in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The mystery that was hidden before the foundation of the world. If the devil had known this, he would have never crucified the son of glory. But praise God, he didn't know it. So now then, he does know it. And he knows he's defeated. Now Lord, help us to understand who we are as children of the Most High. We praise you and thank you for what you've done so we can live the abundant life that you promised. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Amen. We're going to start with John 4.14. John 4.14. This is, I hope, we're going to be able to finish. This is going to be the final session on the In Christ, In Him series. This will be number four. And we're going to finish this up today, if possible. John 4, 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water, whosoever drinketh the water. The water is available to who? To all. To the whole world. But he says, To whosoever will drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting or eternal life. You really need to get a hold of that well of water that's in you and what it is. It's more than enough for everything you'll ever need in your life. It is the most powerful thing there is because it's the Holy Ghost. And when that Holy Ghost power comes out of you, what can he do? Exceedingly abundantly above all you can even think or imagine. That power works in you and me. Wow. To think that's in you and I. When these things that's written in the Word of God becomes a revelation to you, you will not be sick anymore. You will not let the devil beat up on you no more. You'll never have any more fear. You'll realize who you are. And you won't let the devil get through to you with sickness or disease. You won't never let him depress you. You won't never let him do nothing to you because you will realize he is a completely defeated foe. You will start reminding him of who he is when he comes by your house. Oh, he'll come by and put things on you. He'll put signs of sickness and disease on you. He'll depress you. He'll try to get you upset with your mate. You know, your husband or your wife is not doing anything right. Or he'll have you look at some other man and say, Oh, wouldn't that be so much better to be married to that guy? Think how wonderful he is. And look at that old crud you got.
It's kind of like Cheryl told a man yesterday. I think it was yesterday or Friday night, whenever it was. She said, some guy come up and said, you know, I have met all kinds of celebrities. But big, big people. But he said, I can't go up there and meet him. And Cheryl said, why? And he said something about the anointing he walks under. He said, I could never go up there and meet him. Cheryl said, give me a break. He's just a man. Well, see, that's what I am, just a man. But that anointing of God that will flow through you, the demons of hell will see that in you, and they will be afraid of you. You know that? Did you know in the spirit world, the devil can see how much of God is in you? And that's what will make him afraid of you. If you're walking holy in obedience to God's word, and you've read the word, and you got it in you, then that devil, when he walks up, he sees a Jesus in you that's big and powerful. Here's this little nobody, this little guy down here. Or this little girl. And the devil walks up and says, Whoa, I'm not going to mess with him or her. Why? Because he can see into the spirit world. If you're not walking in Jesus, you don't have any of the word hidden in your heart. And you're living in a little bit of sin over here and a little bit of sin over here and a little bit over there. You're lying a little over here. You're cheating a little over here. And you're doing all these things that the world does then the devil's not afraid of you. Not at all. Because your Jesus is not very big. There's not much of him in you. So he'll attack you. But when you get the word in you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you, when you get the word in you, like a lady asked me, she said, I have a question. She said, first of all, how do you not doubt whenever you start to stand on the Word of God. She said, I am a woman with a scientific mind. And she said, I find it impossible to not doubt. I told her, I said, ma'am, you didn't read the Word very well. She said, what do you mean? I said, he didn't say if you don't doubt in your mind. He said, if you don't doubt in your heart. I said, that's your spirit, man. I said, when you and the Word become one, then your spirit will be so much more powerful than the mind that the devil attacks, that when he attacks the mind and says, oh, you're just an old foolish nobody. You know God ain't going to do nothing good for you. That spirit man will rise up and say, devil, I am a son or a daughter of the king of kings. I'm anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. And yeah, I in the flesh may not be much, but my Jesus that's in me is big and powerful. And he defeated you 2,000 years ago. So get out in the name of Jesus. And when you get a hold of it like that, that devil, he's in trouble, isn't he? He's in big trouble. You can't keep him from coming to your mind because that's the battleground. But your spirit, when the you and the word of God becomes one, it'll make no difference. You walk up to that little two-month-old baby laying there, 95% brain dead. You automatically know that child's dying because of its parents' or grandparents' sin. 
It hadn't, had, it hadn't lived long enough to sin. Just like that little three-day-old baby girl that's dying with a liver failure. When Gloria found the sin, living with a boy out of wedlock, got pregnant, opened the door to the devil. The demons of hell were in there thriving, eating that liver of that little three-year-old girl, killing her, and the doctors don't understand why her liver's failing. Gloria knew. She knew that what that woman done was sin. When she found out she was living in wedlock out of sin, she told her, said, you got to repent. And you got to move out. And you got to make God a promise. You will not do that sexual sin no more unless you get married first. When you get married, then sex ain't sin. God says, okay. That's what he made it for. One man, one woman. You have sex out of wedlock. I'm going to guarantee you're going to get a demon. And he's going to come and manifest. And he may manifest immediately or he may wait till one of your children come along years later. But you're going to get him. And if you knew that, you'd stop that stupid sex sin out of wedlock as a Christian. I guarantee you would. But that little girl didn't know that. But Gloria did. And when that little girl repented, Gloria went in there and cast that demon of hell out of that little girl. And in one hour, that little girl was healed. That's been over a year ago. Praise God. Praise the King. That little girl's been here at this church several times. We've seen her. She just runs around here. Praise God. If she didn't have a relative that knew what God's Word says, that little girl would have died at three days, three or four or five days old. It's amazing what we don't know. But when you get a hold of sin, brings forth death, then you'll realize that the one that is in you, when you drink of that water, You'll never thirst again because that water will be a well. When you put it in there, that stuff just multiplies and explodes. And coming out of your mouth will be a torrent of water. In fact, there was a gentleman out at the ministry center the other day. He said, Thurman, you're the only man I've ever met that challenges me with the Word. He said, I've studied the Word. But he said, you challenged me with the Word. He said, when I listen to your tapes, it's like trying to get a drink out of a fire hydrant. <laughs> I said, praise God. But he said, I'm down there trying to get it. He said, I listened to them over and over. I thought, I've heard a lot of things about my teaching, but I ain't never heard them <laughs> expressed as like trying to get a drink out of a fire hydrant. That's amazing. That well of water that I drink comes gushing out of my mouth and it changes people. Who is that? Christ in you. Greater is he that's in you. All Thurman Scrivener had to do was die. That's all we got to do is die and let the king live through us and he will be a well of water coming out of you and then when you touch a little girl like Liz that was here and got healed of Lyme's disease and then her doctor found it very difficult, but when he found out she got healed, naturally he wants to know how, because he's got Lyme disease. And he calls and get a bunch of our tapes and listen to them, and he stands on the Word of God himself and gets completely healed. And now then Liz or him, and he told us about one more, too, that he had prayed for that had been healed of Lyme disease. Three people. That was the testimony was given down there the other day. Incurable disease. With Jesus, there ain't nothing incurable. All you got to do is believe. 
He can recreate things in your body. There is nothing impossible with Jesus. If this well of water, which is the Holy Ghost, you let it come in you every morning. Just like this morning, I woke up, the first thing I did, I just lay there. I said, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost and fire. That well of water, fill me to overflowing. I want that well of water to come forth out of my mouth every day of my life. And I want it to touch everybody. And wherever you send me, I want to touch people in your name. I want to see people saved, healed, and delivered. While we were down there, one, one couple of young men, one of them goes to a Baptist church that's got 3,000 strong. And he said, we listen to your tapes and CDs in our business. Now, we have a Tuesday night Bible study with all of our people. And he said, we've now seen six men saved out of those Bible studies just listening to your CDs and tapes. Six. And he said, you know, we're beginning to see God move. And it's in the area of salvation. He said, we saw one healed last week. I said, you know, I got a feeling that 3,000 strong Baptist church is in for a change. He said, I'm going to teach it to them. I said, praise God. And the other one was a member of another kind of church. And they're all getting it. And God is beginning to honor their prayers and bringing people into the kingdom and healing them. And when you get a taste of this, you can't never go back to your old ways. It's so amazing. When you begin to see God move, wow. He said in John 6, 56, he said, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me. And I in him. That's why we have communion at least once a month. You know, there for a while, it's amazing how the devil has got me off on a tangent. There for a while, we took communion every day. But you know, we've just about quit that. I'm going to have to get back onto that. Every day, I need, Cheryl and I need to take communion for our protection every day. John 7, 18 says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. That's why you'll never hear me say I heal nobody. Jesus is the only healer. He is the power. John 15, 5. I am the vine. Jesus is the vine. And you, put your name there, Ty, Thurman, Cheryl, Christy, David, John, Benjamin. Put your name there. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And if you abide in me, not just believe in me, abide in me, and I abide in you, the same shall bring forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Why do you think so few people in church today can do nothing? They don't abide in him. Oh yeah, they come to church sometimes. You know, when it feels good and the weather's just right. You know, if it's not if it's too nice, you know, I mean, my goodness, why be in church? You've got to be on the lake in your boat on Sunday afternoon. 
You know, and you might be like that guy that bought the new boat, and he's out there on the lake, and he's got a cell phone and everything, and he's out there fishing, and he's having a good time. And the cell phone rings. And he thought, well, I'm really not expecting no phone calls. And he's fishing. He reached up, picked up the phone, and he said, hello. He said, who? God. What are you doing on the lake this afternoon? Well, God, I'm fishing. He says, why wasn't I in church today? Uh, well, I had to get my boat out and get it ready to come to the lake. And uh, uh, what is that, Lord? Well, uh, uh, Lord, I enjoy this boat. What, what, what is that? If, if I don't change my ways where I'm going, they don't have no water? There's a few of us on the lake need a phone call like that, you know it? You know, we really don't realize who God is, you know that? When you realize who God is, you're going to put him first. It's just like I get tickled at people that get hung up on the law. You know, everywhere I go, I almost have somebody, you know, I'm, I was in the barbershop the other day, up here at Justin. And the guy says, what day of the week do you worship? And I said, 24-7. He said, no, 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 what day do you go to church? I said, every day. No, no, no. He said, no. I said, okay, I know you want me to say Sunday. Okay, so I go to church on Sunday. I said, are you one of them guys that's hung up on Saturday? He said, yes. You've got to worship on Saturday. I said, you didn't read the Word of God very clear. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm free in Christ. You know, don't let the law hang me up with the liberty that I have in Christ. I'm free, and every day with Jesus is the same. All those other things were things and examples of what was to come. But now that the coming of Jesus is coming fulfilled, I am not under the law. When I walk in grace, I have liberty in Christ and I serve him 24-7. I don't have to be concerned about the seventh day of the week being the Sabbath. I don't have to be concerned about the first day of the week being Sunday. I'm supposed to love and serve the king 24-7. When you get a hold of that, you don't let him put you in bondage with nothing no more. There's a devil out there to put you in bondage. If you don't know the word of God, he will put you in bondage because he's smart. But if the Lord says in Galatians chapter 5, I have freedom in Christ. As long as I walk in grace, walk in love, I can do all things, right? I can do all things. Now then, if you do all things and you're tuned into the Spirit, you're not ever going to do anything that's contrary to the Holy Ghost. Now, if you resurrect this beast... And get back into the world, you'd be just like this guy that was telling us, he said the other day, I'd heard your teaching about speeding. So he said, I used to speed as a Christian the whole time. And I realized, hey, you know, what Thurman said, what Jesus said there in the Word. Obey the laws of the land. So he said, I started driving the speed limit. He said, the other day I'm driving down the road, 55 miles an hour on a two-lane highway, and it's 55. And he said, there's nobody in front of me, but there's a long line behind me. And it's in a no-passing zone. Nobody can pass. And he said, I thought, Lord, all those people behind me are going to be extremely mad at me. Can't I speed up just a little? 
And he said, no. Ooh. He said, no. He said, you're obeying my rules. He said, those demons behind you are trying to get you to yield to the impatience of the world. He said, wow. The Lord says, them demons behind you. He didn't say them people behind you and them cars. He said, them demons behind you are trying to get you to speed up so you will yield to the ways of the world. The ways of the world. A while ago when we was coming down here, I was driving 60 miles an hour on the freeway, and it was 60, and, there, and I was on the right outside lane, and there was virtually no one in the left inside lane there was a few other people scattered along here, and I guarantee there is a car come by us, a black car. I bet you that guy was driving 100 miles an hour. I mean, I looked over and he went, wow, and he was out of sight, nothing flat. And I thought, looked down my speed under, and I stopped. No, I was driving 60. So if you're driving 60 and he's going that fast, he is definitely mobiling. What if somebody pulls out wrong on a deal like that? What if that guy had to pulled out in front of him like he did Cheryl last night at 65? I'm going to tell you for sure that guy don't have any angels watching over him. Because you notice what she said? She was driving 65. We were perfectly in the confines of the physical law. We were not disobeying any of God's law. So he was there to protect us. I mean, did you know God can make your foot work twice as fast on the brake pedal, and he can make that car stop three times as fast. Our car, of course, it's got an anti-lock system on it too, but that car never swayed. It never skidded a tire. It never done anything. And Cheryl whipped to the left and went around that guy in the car. I mean, I was sitting there like, I was driving 20 mile an hour. Just nice, smooth, went right around. Didn't slay me around or nothing. Angels sent to our charge to protect us. It's nice to have them, isn't it? Very nice to have them. But they're only there when you're walking in obedience and you're walking in faith. Then he says, if you, if you t stay attached to the vine, in John 15, 5, and if Jesus is the vine and you're the branches, and if you abide in him, you will produce how much fruit? Much. much. Not a little bit. Much. So if you're not producing fruit for the kingdom... You're not abiding in Christ. If you didn't spend some time with him this morning, you didn't spend time with him last night, you didn't talk to him, you didn't praise him, you're not abiding in him. Don't be a traditional Christian. Be what's supposed to be normal. And a normal Christian is one that's producing fruit. That's one that's leading people to Jesus. That's one that's healing the sick. That's the one that's casting out demons. That's the one that's walking pure and holy before God. If you love God, he said, purify yourself. Cleanse yourself from all unrighteousness. Walk holy before me. That's what the king wants you to do. How much sin can you have in your life? None. Not in getting to do these things for you. Acts 10.43 Acts 10.43, to him give all the prophets witness. To him, Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, the name of Jesus, 
Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of your sins. What does it mean when your sins have been remitted? They're gone. They're not there anymore. You're clean. You're pure. Your sins are washed away. You come from the world, you're going to have a filthy background. I don't care who you are, you belong to the devil. Every human being on this earth belonged to the devil. And then you come to Jesus and he saves you. And at that point you become a child of God. And when you became a child of God, he washed you white. Put a clean robe on you and took away all your sins and washed you clean and made you white as snow. And at that point there was not a sin left in you. Now it's very possible to carry them demons that you had over with you though. Because chances are they were not cast out. So it's very possible to get saved and get all your sins repented of, but still to bring over your trash with you, your demons. They can still be there. And until you go through deliverance. Now if you can find somebody that will bring you into the kingdom of God, get you saved and delivered at the same time, that's the best time because every demon of hell that had legal right to you at the point you got saved has no more legal claim to you. By faith, you can be set free. You can be healed, delivered, and every demon that had legal right to you, he has no more legal right because the blood of Jesus remitted or washed away every sin in your past. But most people don't know that. So what they do when they get saved, that demon that has control over you, as soon as you get out of the presence of a preacher or somewhere, he'll begin to put those same thoughts in your mind to go back to the same sins you were committing before you got saved. And when you start yielding to those thoughts, and you go right back out there and you stomp your toe on something, and out of your mouth comes, GD, that SOB, this. You're stepping right back into your same sins. And them demons are getting legal right to you again because you just sinned. The Word of God says, everything you do that's not of faith, according to the Word of God, is sin. And do you not know that everyone that takes the Lord's name in vain, you will not go unpunished? Well, you'll give legal right to the demons. Or you'll get saved and you'll go back home. You're living with a girl out of wedlock and you go right back home and you go right back to bed with that girl out of wedlock. And that demon that now didn't have any legal right to you, now it's got legal right to you again. So first thing you know, all your sins are falling right back along behind you and every demon that had legal right to torment you is there with his legal right again. And then first thing you know, they're going to get you out of church. And you're not even going to want to be back in church. They're going to be blinding your mind to the truth of the Word of God. You have to repent of those sins and get rid of them. And when you do, then you can walk in power with God. Walk in power. I love to see the king answer my prayer. I love to lay my hands on someone like I did that beautiful little girl up here that day that had an incurable Lyme disease and got her sins repented of and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And we know that Jesus was standing there watching, don't we, Johnny? Because we know I didn't heal her, did I? But the king of the universe that lives in us did it for her. I love to see the king do those kind of things for these people. Don't you, Ty? Woo, I love it. I love it. I love that well of water that comes gushing out of our mouths. That's technically the Holy Ghost. That comes out and touches a little lady like her and gets her healed. Then she goes and tells her doctor what happened. And he listens to the tapes and that same thing comes gushing out. And he gets healed. 
And then he prays for another little girl who got Lyme disease and she gets healed. That's three of them. Praise God. We know how wonderful it is to see Jesus do these things for his people because a lot of us in here have received those things from him. Wow, it's so wonderful. Mm. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, how much fruit are we going to produce? Much. much. Not a little bit of much. And then we're going to have remission of our sins. And in Acts 17, 28 says, For in him, if you're in Christ, Acts 17, 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. If you have a child that you bore into this world, whether they're good or bad, they're your child. There may be times you wish they weren't your child, but nonetheless, they're yours. Technically, that's organic unity. You and I cannot get any closer to Christ than we are. We got to realize that we are his body on earth. And if each one of us is a cell in the body of Christ, that's organic unity with the king, and you can't get any closer to somebody than that. Can't get any closer. You are one with Christ. That's, that's awesome. When that becomes a revelation to you, you can take the boldness, you can take the word of God, and you can go and you can do things knowing that there's no fear. You have no fear for nothing. And you know that you have that confidence in him that whatever you ask, he'll give it to you. Sometimes it takes a little while to get it. But it's gonna, it can't fail. By knowing these things, that's how I could have stood, especially for my granddaughter, and see that little girl completely healed. You've got to believe with no doubt in your heart and see the glory of God. What an awesome God we serve. First Corinthians 8, 8. 1 Corinthians 8, 8, or 8, 6, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. You and I are one because of what Jesus did on the cross. We become that organic unity with Christ. And as long as we walk holy in obedience to his word, we are one in him, with him. And in him we, have, we move and have our existence in him. I can't think of a better place to live, can you? <laughs> than to be in Christ. What a privilege to be children of the Most High God. 2 Corinthians 1, 19. We get over here in 2 Corinthians. This is awesome. 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Salvanius and Timothy, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. Verse 20. For some of the promises of God... Oh, you've got to watch these preachers. When that becomes a revelation to you, for all, all, all the promises of God, all these magnificent promises to the children of God, I mean, that that couldn't be true because if it was, the body of Christ would be walking so holy and every time they needed something they'd come and pray and ask him and he'd give it to them. That can't be true. It's too good to be true. But it says, for all the promises. Jack, that can't be true. It's true. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Is that amazing? All the promises of God? I mean, where, where did that verse go for the first 45, 50 years of my life? That couldn't have been in the Bible. I'd have found it somewhere. Blinded. How many of us have been there before? I'm telling you, that devil's blinded our mind to these things. You know how you find these things? You get into the Word of God and you start reading it. And this is the way you read it. You don't say that. This is the way we read it. Okay, 2 Corinthians 1.19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silas and Timothy, it was not yes and no, but in him was yes, and all the promises of God in him are yes, and so on and so forth. And you just keep right on reading. You know what you get? Nothing. 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 But you sat down with the Word and you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you and worship you for the Word. Oh, glory, Father. Glory that Jesus and the Holy Ghost is in me. Now, devil, I rebuke you because I have power over you. I command you to get out of me and not to steal a single word out of my heart or my mind today as I read the word of God. Get out of my house, devil, in the name of Jesus. And don't be nice to him. You can't say, oh, Mr. Devil, will you please leave? (laughs) That's the way some of us pray. Oh, Mr. Devil, will you please leave so I can read the Bible? He says, no, I will not go. But you speak to him bold as a lion and tell him where to go. And he gets out. And then you say, now, Father, as I read the word, may the Holy Ghost that's in me quicken my heart to all of these magnificent things. Fill me with the knowledge and wisdom and understanding of your mighty word so I can hide these wonderful things in my heart so I will not sin against you. And he loves that. Then you read it and you say, 2 Corinthians 1, 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ. What does that say? For the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, who was preached, he was taught, he was preached, even by me, Paul, and Salvanius, and Timothy, was not yea and no, but in him. In him, I'm in him. Who? The Son of God. Then it was yes. 
Wow, Lord, that's awesome. For all the promises of God. What, Lord? All the promises of God. In Him or in Jesus. If I'm in Him, Lord, I'm in Him. So all the promises are yes. And in Him, amen, under the glory of God. Lord, thank you. So you spend a few minutes on a couple of verses like that. And if you pray over it like that, He will reveal it to you. And then you think, goodness gracious, Lord, all the promises are yes and amen. So it can't fail. They said, but I'm sorry, you got this incurable disease. Oh, you got that tumor on your leg. That's what you got. You got that tumor on your leg. That's okay. I'm a doctor. I'll take it off. So you take it off, and the devil says, that's okay. I'll put the beast back on there. Only I'll bring it back bigger this time. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And so Ty comes up to me and says, I want you to pray and ask God to take this thing off. We ask God to take it off, and you know what God says? No, I didn't put it on there. So six weeks later, it still ain't gone. But me and him standing on the word, but the tumor's still there. So then one day he gets mad at the devil, goes into the shower, and there's that big old tumor which he'd already taken off once because he is a doctor. And he, me and him have prayed and asked God to take it off. And God says, no, I ain't taking it off. I didn't put it on there. So he gets really mad at the devil, starts to take a shower and looks down and sees that thing. And he just reached out and slapped that devil and says, the devil, you're going to take that tumor off my leg too in the name of Jesus. And in a matter of minutes, that thing was gone. Is that awesome? Is that awesome? Now, who put that tumor on him? The devil. Now, who's, who's going to take it off? The devil. Because the devil puts these kind of things on us, and sometimes we come and beg and plead God to do something. He said, I didn't do that. I've had the Lord tell me before, when you say, Lord, what about this person like that? Look at how they're all handicapped. He said, you don't think I did that. You don't think I did that. Well, then, God, if you didn't do that, who did he said, if you don't understand what James, when I said in the book of James, all good and perfect things come from me. He said, you think that's good? I said, well, absolutely not. That's why I'm asking you to do something about it. He said, I didn't do it. The devil did it. You see what happens? We go to begging and pleading God to do something, and the devil is the instigator of all this stuff. We get mad at the devil. And of course, guess what? When Ty took that tumor off of himself as a doctor, when he cut that leg open, took that tumor off and stitched it back up, the beast come back, come back bigger. But when he got mad at the devil and told him to take it off and not never bring it back, it ain't come back no more, has it? Is that awesome? Is that awesome? That's awesome. See, that's just like that day I told that lady with that breast uh, tumor. She come in and said, I got to have you pray over this. And I said, ma'am, that's just a demon. I said, you've been coming to church here several months. I want you to go home. I want you to take your blouse off. Take your bra off, too, if you want to. Lay your hand on that tumor, because it's a demon. I said, quote to the devil, Luke 10, 19, and 20, those two verses, and it guarantees that all power and all authority is given to you by our king over that devil. And you command him to take that thing off of you in the name of Jesus. And she says, I mean, I'm fairly new in these things. I said, I know, but you've been coming here six or eight months. You know the truth. And she said, okay, I'll do it. So she goes home, 
She does exactly what I tell her. There's that big old tumor on her breast. She lays her hands on it, quotes Luke 10, 19, and 20, and commands the devil to take that off of her. And immediately under her hand, it just disappeared. It so startled her because this is what where the average person don't ever see anything like this. We don't realize who the devil is. So immediately she screamed, I can't believe this. And she didn't stop there. I can't believe this. Oh God, I can't believe it's gone. Oh, God says, okay, if you can't believe me, he steps back. When he does, whoo, thing comes back bigger than it was before. So next Sunday when she comes to church, she comes in like this. I said, what's wrong with you? I said, did you do what I told you to do? She said, I did. I said, what happened? And she said, it went away. I said, then why aren't you jumping up and down screaming, praise God? And she said, I did jump up down and scream, but I screamed, I can't believe it, three times. And when I did, it came back bigger, and then I couldn't never get it off again. I looked up at her, and I said, ma'am, if you wasn't a beautiful woman, I'd grab you by the shirt collar and slap you twice with my Bible. <laughs> she just said, go ahead and hit me. I deserve it. I said, no, I ain't going to hit you, but I'm going to hit that devil. I said, in the name of Jesus, I want you to repent for your sin of unbelief. She said, I've done that all week. I said, okay. So I commanded the devil to leave her. I laid my hands on her shoulder, and I said, you devil of hell, you've got to leave. This time you're going to stay gone. And she said, I've got a couple of sons, and both of them doctors. And she said, they both work in hospitals here in Dallas, and I know what's going to happen. If I tell my sons I got this big lump on my breast, they're going to wheel me down there. Next thing I'm going to do is be in surgery. Mama ain't going to have no breasts. And she said, they're going to cut them off because she said, that's what doctors do. And I don't want that. And I said, well, nobody wants that. So I rebuked that devil commanded to come off the next Sunday. She walked in there, and I said, well, she said, it ain't gone yet. She said, but it's going to leave. You hear a little faith in the background there? I said, guarantee it's going to leave. Next Sunday she walked in, she said, praise God, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. We don't have to put up with that nonsense, do we? No. We don't have to put up with that. But see, that's what's wrong with us in the church. We don't believe these promises when the Lord says, I mean, how much clearer could he be? In Luke 10, 19 and 20, when he said, behold, I give unto you authority to trample on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them devils. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not that the evil spirits have to be subject to you. But rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. That's what you ought to be rejoicing about. These devils are just minor things. If you know who they are. You don't have to sweat a devil. You can be just like Smith Wigglesworth. It's just you, devil. Roll over and go back to sleep. He knows he's defeated. He knows he has nothing in him. What can he do to him? Nothing. He can't touch you. Because when you roll over and go back to sleep, when you're clean and pure, who is right there to protect you? The king of kings and the lord of lords and his angelic host. And I can guarantee you that, that devil is not going to touch you. All you got to do is know who you are. 
Don't open no doors to the devil. Because, boy, he's just like that cat standing at the door on a cold day. That cat's there scratching on the back door wanting in because it's cold and it's raining outside. And she don't want out there in that bad weather. You walk up that door and you hear something meowing, you hear that scratching, you walk up there to crack that door to look out, you don't see no cat. That cat runs right between your legs. She's already over by the fire. You know what I mean, don't you? That's how quick they get in. Bam! That's what a demon will do to you the minute you sin. He's crouching at your door. Just like the Lord told Cain. He said, sin crouches at your door. It will have you. Don't go there. But he did. And that's what happens to us. We go there, and then that devil gets us. How many of the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen? All, All of them. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 goes on to make something a little more awesome. For he, Christ, has made, for he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him or in Christ. Now, let me ask you this question. After reading that statement, how many of you in here know you're righteous? Wow. Now, those that didn't hold up your hand, you got a problem. If Jesus made you the righteousness of God in Christ, somebody says, are you righteous? You ought to say, absolutely, I'm righteous. But don't let this be the second statement they make. Then if you're righteous, then why don't you act like it? I mean, that's where the world gets us. You know? Well, if you're righteous, then how come you were down there cheating on a car deal? How come you owed that man $50 and you wouldn't never pay him? See, the world knows exactly everything you do wrong. They watch you, them devils of hell. Don't let them have nothing to accuse you of. Make sure you're giving walking holy before God, and that them devils of hell have nothing in you. Make sure you're walking in obedience to the word because he's made us the righteousness of God in Christ. And if he's made us the righteousness of God in Christ, the least we should do is walk in that, right? We should be like that. I mean, who would want to be a child of the king and to go to Lexus out in the driveway and an upstairs suite that's got the most beautiful clothes studded with jewels and diamonds, who'd want to put on a pair of Levi's and go down and ride a motor scooter? But that's what we do in the church. I'll tell you the best example of this i ever seen. I just looked over at Benjamin right there and something flashed into my mind. I thought, and I told this to a man that was our director out at uh, SkyShift, and he was also a black man like Benjamin. I said, I told him one day, I said, you know, the Christians are like the black people. He said, what do you mean? I said, Abraham Lincoln went to war to free the black man. And they won the war, and he signed the Emancipation Proclamation that set every black man in America free. They could do anything that anybody else could do. Now, there's no difference. Color, creed, nationality does not make a difference. But I said, the black man rode in the back of the bus for 100 years. He couldn't go to the bathrooms. He couldn't eat in restaurants because they let the white people of this world beat up on them 
But yet they had a written document in Washington that said they were free. I said, finally, a little man back in the late 50s and early 60s came along. And he said, we have the right to send our children to the same schools the white people do. And I said, they took by force with words what already belonged to them 100 years before. I said, that's exactly the way the church is today. Jesus Christ signed our Emancipation Proclamation and gave it to the church. It makes no difference what color you are. But God, there ain't no such thing as colors. You can be a black man like Benjamin, be a white man like Ty. We're brothers in Christ. It makes no difference whatsoever with God. You can be a female or a male, and with Christ, it makes no difference. He says there's no such thing as male nor female, nor color or creed or nationality. If you're in Christ, you're free. But the church has been deceived by the devil just like the black man was in America for a hundred years. When I was a young man, and I, didn't, I, I was raised in a little country town in Goldsway, Texas, and I didn't know there was anybody in the world except white people. I had never seen one. So finally we went down to see my uncle one weekend at Austin and I saw my first man that was black. And when I saw the man black over there, I said, Daddy, what's wrong with that man? His skin's black. He said, oh, son, that's a Negro. I said, what? He said, yeah, his skin's black. That's the way God made him. I said, is something wrong with him? He said, no, son, that's just the way God made him. They're just black. Just like you're white. He said, they're just exactly like you and me, just got a different skin color. I thought, well, how strange that God would make one of us white, one of us black. And then I started seeing some Spanish people, and they were kind of brown. And then when I went to Japan, I saw Orientals, and they're kind of yellow. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. And then I thought one day, I thought, you know, God, I could have done a better job than you could have. I could have made them all the same color, and we wouldn't have had all this problem. Until I went to Korea. I went to Japan, and I saw the Japanese. And then I go to Korea, and I see the Orientals over there. And I walked up to a guy, and I was introducing myself to him over there. And I said, by the way, are you Japanese or are you Korean? Ooh, wrong statement to make. I mean, he said, don't you dare call me no Jap. I said, sir, I didn't. I said, are you Japanese or Korean? He said, you call me a Jap, and I'm a Korean. I walked off and said, God, it wouldn't make no difference if you'd ever made every one of us the same color. It would have made every, no difference. The devil would have still got in there and created all these problems. You know, then he'd have said, well, you live on the south side of town and I live on the north side of town. So you ain't no good because you live on the south and I live on the north. Oh, you live on the west and I live on the east so that you ain't no good because you live on the wrong side of town. The devil would have done something, wouldn't he, Johnny? It don't make no difference. That devil's going to stir it up. And if you don't think he can do that, he can step right into your house between your mate that you love with all your heart and still create a problem. And you two, ain't nobody loves two people more than a man and a woman in their life. And still, the devil will get in there and cause a problem between them. And every one of you know that I'm telling you the truth. There ain't a man or a woman in this room that's been married more than three or four days that hadn't had some kind of a problem. <laughs> If you've been married four or five years, you've had a bunch of them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It happens. Now then, that devil, he's there to stir you up. And he's going to do everything he can to ruin you. Now then, after we go past that to the righteousness of God in Christ, 
2 Corinthians 13, 4 says, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. When you live in him and the power of God, which is the Holy Spirit's in you, there's absolutely no limitations to what you can do in the name of Jesus. None. None whatsoever. Ephesians 1.4. Ephesians 1.4 says, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? He has chosen us in Christ before the foundations of the world that you that are in this room today, that are children of God, we should be holy. We need to tell each other that regularly. We need to be what? Holy. You know what it means to be holy? What? Set apart. Set apart. Sanctified. I mean, you can't walk in the world. Now think about this. If you're holy... And you get out there and start home today and you break every speed law. You run every yellow light. You see the yellow turning yellow way down there and you say, whoa, let me speed up. And it turns red. Just as you get to it, you go through the light at 40 miles an hour and say, I just barely made it. That's against the law. You know that? When the light turns yellow, it turns yellow to give you plenty of time to stop. Not to speed up so you can get there just as it turns red. How many people you know do that? Lots of them. And he didn't tell you to break the speed limits. He said, drive the speed limit. As Christians, I'm just telling you what God says. You're the ones going to have to do it. You're the ones going to have to either have to yield to that demon of impatience and go with the world or do what Jesus says. If you want to do what Jesus says, then you'll get to see his power. He will share his power with you when you become that holy, sanctified instrument he wants you to be. Second, I mean, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. This is really a tough one. Colossians 2, 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Walk in him? Be just like him. He's quite a goal or quite an example to follow. You know that? Jesus is quite an example to follow. And verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, yet solid in the faith. Read the word. As you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Abounding in him. With thanksgiving, it should be easy for us to praise and worship and thank the Lord. With thanksgiving, how often should you give him thanks? If, it hadn't been, if you hadn't done it in the last five minutes sitting there, you should say something to him. You should say, Lord, I want to thank you. You think he hears your thoughts? Absolutely, yes, he does. He hears your thoughts. Verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. 
You read that slow enough, that's soak in, that's tough too. It's so easy to get so involved in the things of the world that you miss Jesus completely. How many people today do you know that don't have nothing to do with Jesus? They don't want nothing to do with him. They don't even believe he's real. I'll be willing to venture with each one of you that if we were to take a camera and go downtown Dallas and I stop people at random, tell me what you know about Jesus. Are you a Christian? Do you believe he's real? I would be willing to venture that 70 to 90 percent of the people would have no knowledge of the wonderful power of God. Well, that's better too. They'd have some knowledge of the power of God, but I'd be willing to venture that probably 30 to 50 percent of them wouldn't even know who Jesus is. When I go to church and ask children that are 15 years old in the youth department, do you know? what it means to be virgin born and whether that's important or not and they can't answer that 80% of them out of 100% can't answer that question by the time they get 15 years old we got a problem in the church we're not teaching our children what this book says parents are not living holy before their children their children are being raised up in the world if your children are raised up in the world, guess which way they're going to go? Go to the world. You can't live in the world and raise your children in the world and expect them to be holy. Because you're not holy. You're not doing what God told you to do. He expects you to walk how? Holy. Holy, holy and blameless. Quite a mouthful, isn't it? But the king said that. Not me. I'm just repeating what he said. Verse 9 of Colossians 2. For in him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily is in him. And verse 10 says, And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. How much power and authority does our king have since the cross? All. All. Over everything. Over principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. Over all the heavenly host in heaven and on earth. All power is given to him. So why is the devil, if all power is given to him, over all the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and everything, then why is the devil beating up on so many of the church? You reckon Jesus might be sicking him on some of us? Something in it. Isn't that amazing? Since he's in control, First John two. First John two five. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 
That's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? How is the love of God perfected? Keeping his commandments. Keeping his word. If you keep his word, the love of God is perfected because the love of God is perfected because you keep his word. If you keep his word, he says, be holy for I am holy. What does he expect you to do? Be holy. If he says, don't lie, I mean, not even a little bitty one. If you lie, you broke his commandments and his love is not perfected in you. It's, kind of, it's going to put you to the test, isn't it? But we can do it because he said so. And then verse 7, he says, Brethren, I write no new commandments unto you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. And he that saith he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even unto now. Do you hate anybody? If you do, you're in trouble. You better not hate nobody as a Christian. If you do, the love of God's not perfected in you. You've got to walk in love. Love. In fact, yesterday, Cheryl said, honey, you need to pray for this woman. And I walked over there, and she's all crippled with a walker and everything. I walked over, and I said, ma'am, you got all your sins repented of? She said, I think so. I said, ma'am, thank you, and won't get it. That will not, I said, you're in that situation you're in because of sin. I said, now, who you got an unforgiveness toward? She said, I have one. I said, I knew that. I said, are you willing to forgive? She said, I've tried. I said, no, that's why you're, in the, that's why you're down and can't walk. Until you get rid of that unforgiveness. She said, but you don't know what they did to me. I said, ma'am, it don't make no difference what they did to you. You're opening a door to the demon to keep you down. And as long as you let that demon of hell hold on to you with that unforgiveness toward whoever it is, I said, he's going to keep you down there and he's going to keep you down until he kills you. I said, that's your choice. You can either forgive him and walk in love and get well, or you can stay like you are and be sick and die in your sin. I don't know about you, but I don't like, I wouldn't like walking around a walker being crippled. Would you, Sharon? No. Why? What could anybody do to you that would get you to hold a grudge against them so you'd crippled and couldn't walk? But see, probably nobody ever told her that. Nobody probably ever told her that. So anyway, she may not have known that. He that saith he is in light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. Woo, I like that. Keep the love in you and you don't, can't even stumble. The Lord will send his angel and give him charge over you so you don't dash your foot against the stone. You won't ever have about falling, breaking an ankle. You know, anytime I see somebody that stumbled and have an ankle or you know, throw an ankle out, they say, you know, good grief, this is the fourth time this year I've stepped in a hole and sprained my ankle. I said, you under a curse. you got a sin in your life. What are you talking about? 
And so you start checking them out and you find out what it is. And then they repent and you get rid of it and you see them five years later and say, you're walking in love. Oh, yeah. You you hadn't stumbled no more and sprained your ankle no more either, have you? Nope, sure hadn't. Isn't that amazing? Coincidence. No, no such thing as coincidence. No such thing as accidents. Cursings and blessings. Cursings and blessings. That's kind of hard, isn't it, Anita? That's kind of hard to present to people. To tell them the truth. But God's the one said this. I don't want to stand before the king one day and he put his finger in my face and say, you didn't tell them what I told you to tell them. I don't want to hear that, do you, Benjamin? I, gotta, I want to say, if he said it, that's it. I'll tell you, and then they'll let him work with it. But I'm not going to back off and not tell you what he said. Because he's the one that I'm accountable to. 1 John 2.27, but the anointing, 1 John 2.27, but the anointing, the anointing, which you have received of him, the anointing, the power, the anointing. I love that. Don't you, David? I love the anointing. But the anointing, which you have received of him, abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you all things, and in truth is no lie, and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in Him. When you abide in Him, that anointing, the Holy Ghost will teach you. He'll talk to you, and He'll tell you great and wonderful things, won't He, Ty? And once in a while, He'll say something to you you don't like. He'll straighten you up, won't He? When you go off on a tangent, He'll tell you that too, won't He? Yes, He will. Praise God. But you've got to listen. When you listen, that anointing, it's wonderful to have God talk to you. Yes. Ooh, one of them young men down there yesterday, he just started hearing God's voice, and it's amazing. He said, when I started listening to your tapes and learning this stuff, and started straightening my act up and getting holy before God, he said, the king started talking to me. He said, whoa, this is wonderful. He said, I'm hearing his voice regular now. I thought, praise the Lord. He was just on fire. He said, I, he was also a member of a big Baptist church down there. He said, after I got a hold of these things, listening to you, he said, I went to my pastor and told him, I said, Pastor, I can't use that quarterly no more. I got to get rid of that thing. I just got to teach the word. Is it okay in this Baptist church, in my Sunday school class, if I just teach the word of God? He said, sure, no problem. Won't you use the Bible? It's okay. <laughs> Woo! He don't know what he's in for, does he? <laughs> he's in for it. Praise God. He said, I'm changing them in my Baptist church. I thought, wow. Did you know, there's a lady that used to come up here, drive her four hours. She usually, usually wouldn't come on Sunday evening. Once in a while, she would. This woman had to drive four hours to come to church here. But she'd come to a lot of healing schools. One morning, she called me. She said, Thurman, I had a dream this morning. And said, in this dream... It was Jesus and a multitude of people. He said, she said, there was millions of them. I said, Lord, who are all these people? And he said, those are the people I'm going to save and heal through my servant, Thurman. And so she said, I want to call you and tell you that. I thought, millions? I said, give me a break. Here I'm preaching to 100 or 125 here and there. But when I go to a place like yesterday and a few people 
60 or 50 or 100 or whatever people at different places at different times and they've already got my tapes and they've spread them out all over the world to their friends and everything else. And then when I think about, I went and spoke one time at Bill Gothard to 3,000 people and I think of the miracles that happened, but it changed Bill Gothard's doctrine and that new book he sent me, which got a lot of my stories in it, is now going to be taught to 300 million people in China alone. I thought, God, I mean, I don't have to, I don't have to stand in front of them. It's your word. And you give me this wonderful gift to tell these people. And then these other men are taking this thing. But just think, every one of them people, every one of us in this room are associated with this ministry. We're going to get to take part in them rewards. You know that? Isn't that awesome? Whatever you do. I think about the people come out to the ministry center and work and make tapes and CDs and all the things they do, the hours that people work, they're sharing in those rewards of this ministry. I ain't going to get them all. Absolutely not. Every one of us is there. I don't care what you do. If you're associated with this ministry, if you give money to this ministry, if you help in this ministry, all the different gifts and the talents God's given you, you're doing them not unto me, unto him. And when you do, he's the one that's going to give you your reward. And to think what he's doing with this ministry, it blows me away. It just blows me away to think of the people's lives that have been changed. And I think, Lord, what a privilege to serve the King of Kings. Is there anything we can do better than working for the King? Nothing better than that. Wow, what fun. What fun. Huh? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that great meal we had when I said we had that egg sandwich. I don't know if I ever told y'all. But all through the rest of the day, we had no time to eat. But before the day was finally over, they were normal good Christians down there because they brought two big plates of cookies and cake and a big deal of them carbonated drinks that are killers. But I had to have one Dr. Pepper and a handful of cookies before I went to bed. I sure did bless them good in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Lord, if it's possible, if even you can bless this to this flesh, please, Lord, bless it so that I wake up without some wrong with me tomorrow. <laughs> he says, that's okay, son. I can even bless that Dr. Pepper. Uh, if you don't do it in abundance, he said, now if you keep it, if you start drinking them things in abundance, he said, I'm not going not to help you out. But he said, if you'll just drink one once in a while, once in a while, he said, that'll be okay. As long as you take it with Thanksgiving, with blessing and Thanksgiving, he says. The anointing. And then verse 28 says, and now little children, abide in him. Live in him. Abide in him. And then when he shall appear, we may have confidence. Woo! We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And let me tell you, the king is coming very soon. He's even at the door. In fact, the doorknob is turning. We're that close. The king is coming. He's coming. Be ready. Now then, at his coming, when he comes, abide in him. And in 1 John 3, 
3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him, every, how many people? Every person has this hope we've been talking about for this anointing and all this stuff. If we're in Christ, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. What's mine and your goal, Johnny? Be as pure as the king, right? In everything we do, we are to be as pure as Jesus. Can we do that? Shelly, can we do that? We sure can try, can't we, girl? That's what we're going to do. We're going to be pure as Jesus. Because when he comes, you want to be pure. You know, what do you want him to say to you when he comes? You want him to put his arm around you and say, Carol, come up here, my dear. I just love you, girl. You've been so pure. Is that what you want to hear the king say? Absolutely. That's what we all want to hear him say, right, Ty? Yes. Welcome, son. Come up here, my dear son. Praise. Yeah. Oh, glory to God. You've done a good job for me down there on earth. That's what you want to hear, ain't it? That's what you want to hear. Guarantee I want to hear that too. I don't want to hear nothing else. But he says if we have this hope in him, we will purify ourselves. We will walk holy before him. Verse 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses the law. Oh, you mean we as Christians can transgress the law? When you transgress the law, when you break the law, what does the law out there have legal right to do to you? Oh, he can put some hurt on you, can't you? Either in your back pocket or send you to jail, or all kinds of things. So the secret is not to transgress the law. But if we, whoever commit a sin, if we commit sin, we transgress the law. That means we fell from grace, we're guilty, and the demons have legal right to run. And they'll get you. So don't sin. For sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him does not sin. If you abide in Christ, you will not sin. So what if you're sinning? I got news for you. You're not abiding in Christ. The minute you stepped out of abiding in him, you sinned. So if you're out there sinning, you're not in Christ. Because he says, if you're in me, you purify yourself. And there's no sin in you. You can't sin if I'm in you, he says. That's pretty bold, isn't it, from the king. But he's the one who said this. Whosoever abideth in him cannot sin. Children, you can't sin if you abide in him. If you stay in him, girl, you can't sin. Because he's in control of your life. When you let that piece of flesh, you live in, die and stay dead and let him live through, you can't sin. Isn't that amazing? That's what the word says, doesn't it? Whoso abideth in him, when he says sin not, is it the same thing? So you cannot sin? Yeah, you will not. Whosoever sinneth, whoa. Whoever sinned hath not seen him, neither knows him. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to do my best to walk holy before God. And I got a helpmate over here that me and her are going to help each other try our best to keep us both from not sinning. If one of us tries to step off into sin, the other one's going to immediately take that other one to the throne of grace and say, Dad, you got to move on him or his or her heart. That's what, that's what he put us together as helpmates for. So we don't get off on some crazy tangent. So we walk in love all the time together. 
That's why he give us each other. It's times when you will step out of love. And your mate will see this. And they say, honey, don't go there. You're sinning. It takes a real man or a real woman to listen to their mate on those kind of situations. But if they will, you've got to realize that when your mate talks to you or you talk to your mate, who are you talking to if they're a Christian? Jesus. You're talking to Jesus. Would you want to tell Jesus how to get off? Would you want to be mean to him? Would you want to say bad things to Jesus? Mm. Wow. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. This is even getting tougher, isn't it, Benjamin? Because he is born of God. And verse 24 says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwells in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. If you keep his commandments, you will dwell in him. Keep his commandments. What's his commandments? Love one another. Walk in love. First John 4, 13 says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit, and we have seen, that's 1 John 4, 13, 14, 15. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. So if you're going around confessing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if he is your Lord and your Savior, then Jesus really dwells in you. Why do you think the Lord says, no one can say Jesus is my Lord except the Holy Ghost dwell in him? Now, the first time you ask somebody, precious little lady comes up here for prayer. I said, ma'am, do you know Jesus? Oh, yes, I know Jesus. Oh, yes, I know Jesus. Would you say Jesus is my Lord and my Savior? And she can't say that. It's like that day standing right here. There was a woman right here. Many of y'all saw her. First time she'd ever been to this church in her life. I said, is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? I said, do you know Jesus? Yes, I know Jesus. Say, Jesus is my Lord. G, G, G. She couldn't say it. I kept prompting her. Some, many of you might have been here, saw her right here that day. I was telling her, say, Jesus is my Lord. And she couldn't do it. And finally, after three or four times, I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. I said, now, ma'am, say, Jesus is my Lord. She said, Jesus is my Lord. And that little gal got saved that day right there. That was the first time she'd ever been to this church in her life. And you know why she came up? Well, that's today. I said, the Lord just spoke to me and told me that everybody in this place has pain. He wants to heal your pain. I said, if you have pain in your body, I want you to come up here. And I expected three or four people to get up, but there was about 25 got up that day. And they came over here and went a huge land. I said, whoa, I don't know what Jesus is doing here today, but I said, I'm just going to lay y'all in the arms of Jesus. 
I want you to say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and then begin to thank him and praise him as he heals you. And that day with that line of people, not only did he save that one, but as far as I remember, I asked several of those people several weeks after, every one of those people that day got healed. 20 or 25 of them. Boy, when's the last time you've been to church and seen Jesus do something like that? Woo! That's the first and only time I've got to see him do something like that. So that's awesome to see God do something like that. Do you think he wants to heal these people? Of course he does. But you've got to have a man up here that believes it. Then you've got to have some people out there that's been taught her he can't do nothing until you believe him. He is a faith God. But if you can say that, just like he says, you're in him. In 1 John 5, 14. If you're in him, just like 1 John 4, 13, 14, 15 says, then 1 John 5, 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have in him or in Christ, that if we ask anything, Janet, anything, that doesn't leave a whole lot to be left out, does it? And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, oh, I mean, you glad that daddy said that time? We can ask him for anything, because I mean, you got some big requests every once in a while, don't we? That's right. And this is a confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. So when we go to the throne of grace, we've got some of these people that have got demons in them, or a little wicked or mean. I think about this story. Now I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell this story on Sharon. The other day I was back here, and Sharon, she said there was a friend of mine come by the house the other day. Now, I want you to think, I mean, even myself, for a heartbeat, I thought wrong. I thought, no, th no this girl, no, no, I thought, I don't know where she's coming from, but she couldn't go, shouldn't be going there. She said, there's a friend of mine come by my house the other day, and she said, my husband is not a believer, and he's not too nice to me. And Sharon looked at her and said, you know, you don't have to put up with that. Now, this girl's getting to be a bold girl. She's almost as bad as Gloria. <laughs> you don't have to put up with that. You know what the average Christian would think? That's right. Just divorce him and kick him out of your house. That's the way we think, Sharon. You know that? But see, you don't think like that no more, do you? She said, you know what we're going to do to your husband? And boy, the way she's talking to that man, she said, get a cat of nine tails hold of that boy. She said, we're going to go to the throne of grace. And we're going to talk to our daddy about your husband. And she said, we took him to the throne of grace and said the instant she got home, he was already a totally different man. To totally different. What can we do from the throne of grace? You have learned, haven't you, Sharon? You can change their hearts. Because guess who it was that's messing with that guy's heart? The devil. And how much power do you have over the devil? Hey, when you realize it ain't him that you're coming against. It's the devil in him that you're kicking out. When you get the devils kicked out of people, people become different people, don't they, Ty? Yeah, you can see, you can even see them little women come in and get you by the devil. Oh, I mean, they can become tigers, can't they? Until you kick the devil out of them, and then they're nice and gentle. What a difference. I can think of that woman that day, man. I mean, when I walked in that house, she's screaming at me. I mean, I hate you. I mean, I'll hurt you. 
I knelt down in front of her and reached up to touch her hair. She slapped me and said, don't you touch me. I mean, I'll hurt you. This is a little lady. No, this ain't a little lady. This is a devil from hell. And I knew what I had. Then I commanded that devil to stop talking to me. I first said, come out of her. And he said, no, I have legal right to be here. He said, I mean, I hate you. I said, woo. I said, I command you to stop talking, you devil. I called that woman's name. I said, I want to talk to you. She come up and I said, who do you hate? And her husband sitting right there said, it's real easy. I know who that was. It was her first husband. Said he had them two, she and him had these two biggest boys here. And when the second one was a tiny baby, he run off and left her holding the bag. And she's had to raise them two boys. So I come along and married her and said, she hates him with a passion. I said, ma'am, she had already had a hysterectomy. Still had the cramps and the pains in her back. All that pain and suffering she'd been through didn't help her. I said, you got a demon, and you've opened the door through your hatred and anger of your first husband. I said, you got to forgive him. She said, I could never forgive him. I said, he's ruined your life to now. You're either going to forgive him, or he's going to ruin the rest of your life. I had to drag those words out of that woman. When I finally drug them out of her, I said, now you devil of hell, you have no legal right to this woman. I said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. I'd first tried to lead her to Jesus, and she said, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. But when I cast that devil out of her, I knew she's lost, so the first thing I want to do is get her saved. I said, now that devil has left the minute I cast him out. She looked up, her eyes cleared. I said, now, ma'am, what you need is Jesus. And that little woman looked over me, and she said, yes, yes, I want to be saved. Led her right into the kingdom, got her saved. Begin to explain to her what was rightly hers. And all of a sudden, that woman that's slapping me, that's mean, screaming, jumps up out of that chair. And, of course, I didn't know what was going on. I jumped up. When I jumped up, she butted her arm around me and began to kiss me on the cheek. and said, I want you to pray for this boy, and I want you to pray for this one. Just a few minutes before, she was a lion. And now she's a little lamb. One minute she's got a demon, and the next minute she don't. Let me tell you. Life's fun, Anita, when you learn who you are in Christ. It makes life so much fun. Kick them devils out of that little lady, get her sin repented, and get her saved. And then guess what? I laid hands on her, and Jesus healed her, and all of her pain went away. The next day, when I called that family to see what's going on, the daddy said, Thurman, my wife hadn't been out of the house in months. Said right after you left, she said, let's go shopping. And said, our four boys went with us said, when we got back, all four of our boys got me off the side and said, Daddy. They were there and saw this whole event. They were all standing there. But they had no idea what was going on. They said, Daddy, what has happened to Mama? This is not our Mama. She has never been that loving and kind in her entire life. Guess what she's had all of her life? Or at least since that second boy was born and that man left. She had that demon of hell living in her. So all of their growing up life, they had a mother that was meaner than hell itself because she had hell in her. Isn't that amazing? And it, that, why, that woman's total life changed that day. If he abides in you, Christ abides in you, you shall produce much fruit. This is fruit for the kingdom. Now then, if this has been four series... We've had, we've finished four series on the teaching of who you are in Christ or in Him. If you will walk 
in this and abide in him, these same kind of things will flow through your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you and praise you for this day. I want to thank you and praise you for the anointing, the Holy One that lives in each one of us. May we abide in him with no sin, so he will be able to teach us your word and use us to produce much fruit for the kingdom of God. And I thank you for the privilege that we know you as Lord and Savior. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.